0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter.
2: At
3: Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
3: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
3: BYU Radio.
4: Good morning. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. It's Friday, December 22nd. You made it. And so have I. Which, you know, was difficult to do. It was kind of touch and go there for a while. But it's Friday, The Friday before Christmas, we can sit back, relax, and uh, phone it in like pretty much everybody else that's at work today. Right, Cole?
5: Right, except
4: except for Dr. Matt, of course. Oh, well, yeah. He's not phoning it in. He's clicking it in because he's doing some online shopping.
5: Is that where you wish Spoiler you were alert, Jeffrey?
4: No, no. I've spent way too much time online this Christmas. You and I were just having a chat about this. You are not really a fan of online shopping, whereas I am. I Why?
5: like to see my stuff. I like to go to a place okay. made of brick and mortar, as okay. they say. Um, and I like to try it on. I like to shake it. I like to knock on it and tap on it <laughs> and make sure it's real. You like um, to
4: shake it? I didn't know you were a dancer.
5: And then I like to buy it. Put it in a box myself and send it to my parents.
4: I'm really glad that you acted this out too, because um, that helped uh, the the listeners get a better picture of what you're talking it's about. It's all about good radio here. I'm 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 a fan of all that too, and there is a special feeling that comes from uh, there's only, there's a sense of accomplishment that you get from going out and tracking something down that has been difficult to find, and you so you've gone to several different stores and you finally found it. You have the sense of accomplishment. But you also have to deal with the lines, trying to find a parking spot. Mm. Uh, If the person doesn't like it or if it breaks, you have to come back to that store. Whereas if you do all of this online, there are incentives for slower shipping. There are incentives in the form of usually the deals online are better. And uh, if you need to return something, you can do so from the comfort of your own home.
5: So today is December 22nd, right? That's right. That means we have three days until things have to be in boxes, wrapped up, and under a tree. Yes. Does Amazon still honor two-day shipping this, this close the holidays? This is the last the day. This
4: is the last day. So, so they'll this deliver, is relevant. This they'll is, they'll is good it. information people. Oh, yeah. For people. They'll deliver it on Christmas Eve. This is not a commercial for Amazon. And by the way, uh, this has been a topic of not really heated discussion. But if, if my wife were here, it may be heated where how many days are really left until Christmas. And we had a listener tweet us at Dr. Matt's show. Uh, she tweeted us what her opinion of it was. In the Navy, it would be two days and a sleep. Is that right, Terry? No.
2: <clears throat>
4: two days and a wake up. Oh, t- two days and a wake up. So it would be so there three could- sleeps, but it's two days and a wake up. There you go. Ding. Okay. All right. Well, this is exciting. No matter how you slice it, from here on out, it's all gravy, right? That's right. Is that even the expression, or is it all cake? I
5: think that's more of a Thanksgiving (laughs) expression, but you can have gravy this time of year, too, if you want it.
4: Wow. Now I'm salivating at 7 in the morning at the sound of...
5: It's all pie? ...gravy. Mm.
4: It's all cake. It's a cakewalk. Oh, there we go. Anyway, speaking of cakewalks... Man, why is it that when Matt's not here, I, I tend to take on his persona and do transitions because that make no sense? Life
6: is about role-playing, and that's the example you have every day as someone who can't do transitions, and so you just carry that on throughout the show.
4: I'm trying to honor Dr. Matt on the show is what I'm doing, and I do that in the, in the best way that I know possible, and I mean that in the best way possible. See? Did it again. Oh, shoot. All right. Well, Terry, what's going on
6: around the rest of the country? Congress on Thursday approved a stopgap spending measure to keep the government's lights on past Friday, averting a shutdown. The funding bill punts on a number of legislative priorities, including the DREAM Act and health care stabilization measures. The so-called continuing resolution funds the government through January 19th. So that becomes the next day of, you know, fights and... Oh, shaking sure. and screaming and whining. Yeah, it now heads to President Trump's desk for his signature. More than two, well, he has to sign it because he's had enough to Mar-a-Lago for holidays. He's got to <laughs> get out of town. More than two dozen Senate Democrats voted against the the chamber's bill in protest of the fact that Congress did not pass the Dream Act before the end uh, as a way of codifying legal protections for children of undocumented immigrants. The House passed an $81 billion disaster relief package earlier Thursday for uh, hurricane-ravaged areas of Texas and Puerto Rico. There's wildfires in California, so it's all kind of in there. The Senate, on the other hand, did not consider the legislation before lawmakers left Washington Thursday night,
4: deciding to put it off till, you know... Next year, I could just see everybody trying to put everything that they need signed in front of right. President Trump right now. Right now, quick. Can you it. just sign this? Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. but
6: you know, disaster relief funding. You think maybe that'd be kind of a Yeah, take some thought on universal that universal one. one. <laughs> yeah, we'll hold off on that. Those people yeah. can wait until after Christmas. Oh. Be fine. Uh Also, the legislation uh, did provide temporary funding for the nearly three billion dollars for uh, children's health insurance program, known as CHIP. But Chip. that money will only cover through. The 19th of January. Ah. So it covers not 9 million children whose parents usually earn too much to qualify for Medicaid, but not enough to afford private health care. Mm. So you have this gap of people. This has been around for a decade or more. Yep. And they're all like, yeah, well, we're kind of wishy-washy whether they want to continue funding that. And uh. it is
5: different from the California Highway Patrol, right? Yes,
6: it's not chips. Okay. It's Ooh. different. Thank you for that reference. Uh, A plan by the Trump administration to separate parents from their children at the U.S. border when families are caught trying to cross illegally has already been approved by immigration authorities, the New York Times reports. The new policy would uh, break with current practice of placing families together in detention facilities and instead send parents to adult detention facilities while their children are sent to shelters designed for juveniles or to live with sponsors. Ooh, that's sad. Yeah, the plan has been approved by Immigration and Customs Enforcement, according to three officials at the Department of Homeland Security and one at the White House cited by The Times. Immigrant groups have blasted the proposal, uh, proposed plan as being unnecessarily cruel, Though so the White House says it is a way to deter immigrants from illegally crossing the border because if you want to lose your kids, come into our country. I guess that's one way to look at it. I don't know. Hmm. Interesting. They, they floated it over the summer. It was shot down, apparently. And then this time they publicly – they left out publicly talking about it as yeah. they pushed it through, apparently. It's,
4: it's tough to figure out where you lie on this, this issue because you hear stories of people that were brought into the country as infants. Mm-hmm. Now, grown adults being kicked out of the country, and it's like, ooh. Yeah, where's that? Yeah. But at
6: the same time, oh. it's like, you know, people coming into the country, how do we control that? And that's why uh, my wife, who kind of works in this area mm-hmm. of, of law and that kind of thing, she's like, you know, I, they haven't ever been able to decide what to do with this, and she's not convinced they ever will. That's probably it'll true. It'll just continue <laughs> to be a point of contention, and there'll be, oh. like, little policies passed here and there, and then it'll be reversed, and- yeah, it's a hor- It's 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 a problem where you want to be nice. But at the same time, it's like, where's the rule of law? And there's no. Yeah, it's kind of hard to figure out where that is sometimes. Uh, vice President Mike Pence touched down in Afghanistan for an unannounced visit on Thursday night to meet with top Afghan officials and rally U.S. troops for his first trip to the country as vice president. The Trump planned in secret for safety reasons made Pence the highest-ranking Trump administration official to visit an active U.S. combat zone and came four months after President Donald Trump committed several thousand more U.S. troops to the 16-year war effort. Um, very common for previous presidents just to sort of pop over there to Afghanistan on sure. Christmas morning or Thanksgiving morning, eat with the troops. Yeah. But, of course, you don't announce that because, you know, targeting and all. Sure. it's a good People point. People start, like, aiming at Airplanes as they're flying through just trying to pick off that random one. Um, so, yeah, it's it's interesting. He was going to go to Jerusalem but held back for the tax uh, bill. And then he's in Afghanistan. I think he's going to make his way that direction. Okay. He, well, he's going to go to Jerusalem mid-January, he said. He put that off for
4: the month. I think that would be one of the coolest trips you could take, going and visiting troops on oh, Christmas Eve or Christmas right. Day. That would be awesome.
6: Um, the holiday getaway season is at its peak, as it says. Which yes. is our
4: AAA numbers for the time. Two hours. According
6: to American Automobile Association, busiest 48-hour travel period of the year. Uh, well, let's see. AAA expects a record 107 million Americans to be on the move between December 23rd and January 1st, 97 million on the roads,
4: and nearly 6.5 million flying. Was it the one of the Texas airport's... That there was a, a fire scare, yes. and so they evacuated 20 gates full of people, and then uh-huh. they all had to turn right back around and go through security once again. That's how it works. Ugh. But
6: so far, I heard a report this morning that was so far the only like real issue. Everything else is running smoothly. Yeah. There's some new security situations, automated security stations you can go through at some airports. They're, yeah. Well, this says passengers will also be allowed, uh, asked to remove any devices larger than a cell phone from their carry-ons, so there's new oh, rules my. that way. But it seems to be moving. I guess. I mean, there's always lines and people are backed up.
5: I mean, if you so. got
4: the new iPhone X, then not
5: Ooh, much is bigger than your cell phone anymore. That's true. Yeah, right, you're
3: right.
4: Hopefully, people are being civil though. And uh, you know, like I said, you're you've made it to Friday, so it's all it's a cakewalk. It's all gravy with cake. You're going to continue that gravy sure. and cake? Okay. Gravy and cake, not together, it's but kind separately.
6: Of a gross combo. Great thing. I don't know. You know, there's some people out there that like that.
4: Yeah, there are some people out there that the are bacon thinking... cake, that's smothered a, gravy. That's not a bad idea. Really? Mm. <laughs> no, I'm saying people oh, are out oh, there I saying I thought you that. were saying. I'm <laughs>
6: like, wow, that's going to be... You know,
4: okay. Uh, other
6: news, uh, Last Jedi, the movie, it just passed the $600 million mark yesterday. Yes! Half of uh, that from the United States. Force Awakens, the first of these new trilogy, whatever... Uh, it dropped 40% after its first week, so they're kind of looking at that to see what. Cause and this what, one is much more divisive than. It's much more the divisive. There wasn't all like the pent up anticipation of not having a Star Wars movie, and then all of a sudden Force Awakens, and then there was a yeah. sort of tidal wave of interest, and this wasn't that. But it was comparable. It was really close. Sure. And so they're wondering if there's going to be maybe a, a steeper decline in week two for that movie.
4: You know what's interesting about this film? It's so divisive. I've seen a lot A lot of the people that have not liked it have conceded that, you know, I probably just need to go see it again for the second time. Yeah. So I'm wondering if they're going to get more repeat viewers on this film just for the sake of people going back, if you didn't like it, saying, Gosh, what did I miss? Mm -hmm. And if you did like it, saying, is there something to what all these haters are saying?
6: There's so many little elements throughout the whole thing where you're like, what was that? How did that work? And then, you know,
4: it does lend itself to repeat viewing because there's so much to take in the first time. Right. But anyway, <laughs> I can't really reference I was going to reference something, but I may oh, ruin it you. for somebody.
5: Cole I'm has sorry. not seen thank it yet.
6: I will not spoil.
5: I'm that somebody. I still represent <laughs> the people who haven't given their $10 <laughs> towards that 600 million figure. Yeah. Uh Bitcoin lost
6: over 25% of its value we were talking earlier this right. either this week or last week of how it was topping out at like some huge – it was like 19000 of Bitcoin. Sheesh. It's now dropped around – under over 25% of its value now at about 12500 I was just checking. Wow. I uh, remember people mortgaged their homes to buy Bitcoin was a story no, we were reading. No. <laughs>
2: yeah.
6: <sighs> and finally, the story that I think has many people – if you read it, you might be a little concerned. But the story about Apple slowing down your phone – it's long been rumored that the, the Apple Corporation, when they send out a new um, software update, mm-hmm. that you're, if you have an older phone, like you didn't buy the brand new phone, you bought it, you have an older existing phone, and then they update your software, you update it, and then you just kind of feel like your
5: phone's a little slower.
6: Yeah. If it doesn't oh, yeah. work
5: as well. It's kind of sluggish. No, it's all in your head, Terry.
6: Well, that's, <laughs> that's one argument. It's all It's all in your head. The other is that Apple's doing this. To make it so that you're like, oh, my phone, there's something wrong. I have to buy a new phone. Ah, like, they do it on purpose. They slow down your older they phone. They wouldn't do that to us. Well, yesterday. Apple, come on. Some users on the Reddit, the message yes. board Reddit, have noticed that Apple appears to be slowing down old iPhones that have low-capacity batteries. While many iPhone users have experienced perceived slowdowns due to iOS updates over the years, it appears that they're now proof that Apple is throttling processor speeds, when a battery capacity deteriorates over time, so your battery is going to get old as you continue to charge, right. use it, charge, use it, deplete yeah. the battery. And over time, the capacity's going to deteriorate. You're not going to be able to have – it's not the same battery. It's old. Yeah. So what they're saying is – and Apple admitted to this yesterday. What they do is the software on your phone can tell if your battery, say, it's like 80% effective versus 100% effective. It will slow down the phone. To allow the phone to function better with that battery that isn't up to 100 – isn't out of 100%. Really? Right? So they slow it down because there's a lot of shutdowns that are happening with phones. My phone's been doing this. Mm. You're just – you try to access a couple – you hit an app and all of a sudden the thing freezes and then just shuts off and then it reboots. You're like, what was that? And it's been doing that quite a bit. And they're saying that's because you have an older phone and your battery's not quite like – it's not a brand new battery. And so – we're we're doing this so that your
4: phone still functions, even though it's using the new software. So you just highlighted, or you just uh, provided me with an answer that I didn't even know I was looking for. Oh. But um, I will resist an update on my phone software. I will I will fight it to the death. I it's like the last stand at the Alamo. I know that it's an inevit- inevitability. Yeah. That I'm going to have to make that update at some point in time, but I fight it until at the very last minute. Why so? Because I get used to uh, performing certain tasks on my phone in a certain way with a certain aesthetic. Okay. And then once I make that software update, inevitably, they make some sort of a change to it that I don't appreciate. Hmm. And I have to then, have to retrain myself to use my phone again. Most of those kind of updates.
6: Okay. Are like once a year. They send out periodic updates that are just security updates. Or maybe there's some little bug somewhere. They just fix it and here's an update type of thing, right? Yeah. What you're talking about is like a once a year and it's like a major change. But I don't – Change. My know, wife they, they and They don't really I had, do that that often.
4: We have the same phone. Yeah. I think she's got to be one or two updates ahead of me and I really don't like – the look of her apps and right. this has nothing to do with her personally. It's all on the phone. I'm not insulting my wife, no. Her looks are great. Yeah.
6: No, I, and <laughs> what you're talking about, these are those are a major update. Let's say when they go from iOS 10 to iOS 11, they'll yeah. change the entire look, the aesthetic, everything about it. But the incremental ones change, are, are updating you for security reasons because people are figuring out how to do things on your phone. Yeah. They're trying to protect you. That's kind but of the idea.
4: there are certain apps that you can't download because well, you don't have the particular update that you well, need. Well, that changes
6: and also people making the apps either they update and then don't support the older versions, right? Yeah. Or what, what I find is they don't update their apps and then they make you
4: buy another one. Yeah.
6: And I'm like, oh, you people.
4: Can't somebody just figure out... A smartphone that's also a flip phone, because everybody just wants that flip eh, phone back. They try, but it doesn't
6: look it right. It was so cool. Uh, what, they've, what they found with this particular problem is that if you replace your old battery, it works fine. Really? No problems, no slowdowns, no shutdowns. It's your battery that Apple is trying to help you with, air quotes, because hmm. they just want you to buy a new phone. But they also make it extremely difficult to replace the battery. Of course. There's, there's really... Well, no,
5: you just open up the little battery flap.
6: No, on there's, your there's, iPhone. There's no battery flap. Um, yeah. You have to take it to some place, and it's rather expensive. And they'll crack it open. They'll, they know how to do it. They open it, and they'll
4: replace the battery for you. you but have it's to sign expensive. some kind of a waiver, in probably case. probably sign see, off a child or two. See, you know? Cole, you brought up a good point, and this is a, a scenario in which a flip phone would be ideal because those batteries were as, as easy as gravy to uh, replace, right?
5: Absolutely. Yeah. Easy.
4: By the way, gravy is extremely easy to make. But you got to make sure you put in cold water, not hot water. It very explicitly on the back of the gravy packet says insert one – it doesn't say insert, but put in one cup of cold water. And then you stir it until it all dissolves. And then you let it heat up until it increases in thickness. And it's easy as gravy. I think that's where the expression came from.
5: Tune in next time on The Matt Townsend Show when Jeff tells you how to bake a cake.
4: See, these are the types of things Complete that you metaphor. that we could have been hearing on Cooking with Kiko, but uh, Matt Townsend put the kibosh on that show, unfortunately. How
6: did that turn into a cooking show?
4: What my idea for that was?
6: It's supposed to be like, hey, hey, Kiko, right? His name is Kiko. (laughs) Kiko, what's cooking? In the idea, like, what's going on? But then it turns into this: we're going to make a cake on the air. I'm like, what do we? He He, actually wanted to do it. Right? He's been pitching us guests that they have cookbooks, right? Mm. And the entire interview would be people coming in and talking about this really easy, like, recipe for some holiday dish like we're not going to do recipes and if we do a recipe you'll talk about it for a second and you post it to a website don't come in here with like your eggs and your flour and try to mix something right in our studio
4: that's not happening and he's wait like oh
6: wait but he says it's very interesting and it'll be fun I'm like, no we're not doing a cooking segment
4: so you're telling me this entire time we could have been having food in this studio no 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 parts of food because we can't cook anything in here well they just bring the finished product
5: it's, it's like just whenever like whenever you Stick it into it, the oven and right? then you pull up. But off then the we just have like on a cooking show. Shouldn't we have uh-huh.
6: some person like reading off a list of ingredients and then handing us cake. What how? What enjoyment is that for the listener?
4: Uh, we get cake. Y- y- this is beside the point. We love the listener. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No, we're not doing that. But we also love uh, cakes and mashed potatoes and gravy. Okay, you can do that on your own time. Sitting here slopping around in the studio, it's just it's unprofessional. Terry. Yeah. There I I'll, I'm a man of simple tastes and getting paid to eat food would probably fulfill one of my childhood dreams and
5: certainly your tastes
4: yes like right now I get paid to watch movies on occasion right one of the greatest <laughs> right. things in the world just as when uh, I was paid to be one of the Nielsen I got paid to take one of the Nielsen surveys That's they sent me $1. cash in the mail no, 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 the It was a good amount of cash. Right. Now, if I could just get paid to eat, then I'll know that I've made it. Just checking the boxes. Then all of my dreams will be will be true. Anyway, I am so excited to speak with our next guest because I'm hoping she can help me figure out what I can do about these pesky people who don't like the new Star Wars film. Uh, his name is Stephen Betchen, and he's talking to us about why it's so difficult to change someone's point of view when we return. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back to The Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson filling in for Dr. Matt, who's away enjoying his holiday vacation And uh, his loss is my gain, though, because I'm speaking with Stephen J. Betchen, who uh, earned his doctorate at the University of Pennsylvania School of Social Policy and Practice with a specialization in marriage and family therapy. And uh, he subsequently trained at Penn's uh, renowned Marriage Council of Philadelphia. And he's here today to talk to us about why it's so difficult to change someone's point of view. Stephen, welcome to The Matt Townsend Show.
3: Uh, good to be uh, with you,
4: Jeff. Stephen, I'm really excited that you're here, because I really enjoyed the new Star Wars film, but I understand there are a lot of people that did not enjoy the new Star Wars film, <laughs> and I cannot understand why, and no matter what I say, I cannot get them to adopt my way of thinking. That's interesting. Have you yeah. seen Star Wars yet?
3: I have not seen the new okay. one yet.
4: Then I won't. I won't bother you with that. Then, <laughs> but, but uh, I
3: do have a, But I think it's a great lead-in, Jeff, because I do have a friend who told me that she always saw all the Star Wars movies with her father growing up. Uh huh. And she just has to. And now that he's passed, she still has to go and see every Star Wars movie, no matter what the reviews are. Oh, that's because nice. reminds her of the past and her uh, pleasant experience with her father. That's and great. And you could not convince her not to do that.
4: Yeah. And it's so interesting how we get so set in our ways, sometimes based on, based on opinions that we've formed ourselves, but I guess sometimes it's based on the way that we've been brought up, the values that have been instilled in us. And so I guess it can be, it can be rather difficult to, to sway people to your line of thinking
3: absolutely uh, and that's why I rarely argue with people anymore <laughs> because I realize <laughs> that uh i'm not just I'm not just debating or discussing what the the uh the subject in the moment, but I'm actually uh debating and discussing their entire history as they are my experience as well, and that's why I find it incredibly difficult uh to sway people particularly in um, you know, um, areas such as politics and, and uh, religion, etc. Um, in fact, there are studies, uh, some neuroscientific studies that have found that in th- those two areas in particular, people are less swayed than if they're just talking about, let's say, sports or something else. But I find that that depends on your personal experience with sports. Sure. If your father took you to a baseball game your entire life, you had the greatest time of your life with him, that's what you remember. You're liable to hate football. Huh. We might be able to convince you that baseball isn't the greatest game in the world.
4: Yeah. This is, it's interesting that you mentioned sports, too, because sports is one of those things where it, it gets... It gets passed on from generation to generation. Yeah. You know, you, the your team, the team that you've come to love, is generally the team that, you know, my father, for instance, instilled in me a love for the Los Angeles Dodgers. So yeah. everybody in my family is a fan of the Los Angeles Dodgers, and that's just the way it is.
3: Yeah, and it also, uh, it binds the family together, too. Oh, yeah. You have some kind of a common, you know, context that you can all get together and say, yeah, we're all one and we're all for the Dodgers.
4: yeah. Yeah, and I love the joke that uh, comedian Jerry Seinfeld makes that you're really just rooting for the for the uniforms because the <laughs> players are constantly changing. You're rooting for uniforms. Yeah. Yeah, so there there is a positive side to this, as you mentioned, because it, it's something that brings us together. It's something that uh, rekindles memories that we've created over time. I, I'm curious to know, why is it, do you think, that people have this need, and you see it so much on social media these days, why do we have to try to change people's minds? And I know that there are topics with varying degrees of importance. Some are more frivolous than others. Why do we have this need to try to change somebody's mind?
3: Well, I I think there are probably lots of reasons for that, but I mean, one of the ones that sticks out is that um, I think that it helps to kind of reinforce what we value if we can get them to see it our way. And I think that that's, that's kind of really important. Hmm. Um, you know, look at it. look at it from my perspective. Look at what it's doing to me. To have your perspective is doing something to me. It might be hurting them. It might be challenging them. It might be throwing their perspective off, and they're fighting to kind of hold on to it. So they really would like it if, you know, there's an old saying, here's to us and those like us. Uh, yeah. You know, so, so I think that it helps to kind of solidify the way they think and feel about themselves. And you know, let's just say you had a terrible or traumatic experience, terrible experience uh, in your childhood or something, and somebody doesn't seem to be to have any empathy for that. Given their argument, uh, you might want to, to sway them so that they'll have empathy for you because you have leftover feelings about that trauma. Yeah. So I think we want help. We're asking for help from people, but we get pretty mad when they don't seem to give it to us.
4: Yeah. You know, as you were talking, it made me think about – I think of religion as an example, and I know that you mentioned that in the article that you yeah. wrote. Um, it seems like there there is a way to express our opinion, to express to people that there's something that's important to me that I would like to share with you – Uh, It seems like there is the right way to do that and the wrong way to do that. A lot of times people seem to be offended when you bring up religion because maybe the person that's bringing it up to them does not do it in a a loving way or does not do it uh, in a way that doesn't doesn't, doesn't come across overbearing. But I think for a lot of these people, whether it's religion or whether it's politics, they've identified something that is important to them. And they would like to share that bit of information with somebody else that they genuinely care about, and yet we so often just seem to botch that up. we just a lot of times we don 't know how to do that effectively. Why do you think that is
3: well i think I think because a lot of these uh, subjects are very um, you know, steeped in emotion for us, and we yeah. react reflexively and emotionally if and I see lots of couples and i 've seen them for many, many years and it's, it's rare when somebody says, listen, the, the reason I believe this about this, uh, the political um, issue is because I grew up so, that, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, like this. This is how I experienced it. This is what happened to me, and this is the way I believe what I believe. I, and why do you believe the way you believe? Uh, we never do that. We just make our case. We state it, um, and then we just start arguing facts as if we're arguing about batting averages. Yeah. Um, But, um, you know, if if we could say, look, I believe this because this is what happened to me. This was my experience in life. At least the other person, the other person has a different experience. If they have a different experience, they at least might have some empathy and say, hey, you know, I get why you uh, believe that. I get why religion is so important. I get why that issue is so important to you now. I understand. I might not agree, but at least I understand where you're coming from. And that will cut a lot of the um, anger or the emotion down.
4: Yeah, and I think that is so key to to being civil and to just existing with each other is just being able to see where the other person is coming from. Yeah, exactly. So I'm curious to know, you mentioned in your article there's an example of a party that you went to (laughs) where— it seems like there were exclusive instructions not to bring up a certain topic, and yet people inevitably did it, and it, things did not go well.
3: Well, of course, politics is a you know, really uh, a big topic right now. Everybody is uh, probably drawing lines more than I've seen in a really long time. Oh, sure. Yeah. And, uh, um, you know, uh, we had a, a, a party about a year ago, and, and people kind of got out of hand uh, they get really emotional about it, and then they say things, you know, like, you're an idiot if you did it this way, you're an idiot if you did it that way, and that, that just makes things escalate. And so this time we, we said, listen, we're not, don't bring up politics, but they just couldn't help it. <laughs> Uh Because, again, you know, um, for example, if you have one person who uh, they feel that they're going to lose their business Uh, If this tax bill, for example, passes or they're they're not going to be able to keep their mother in a nursing home or so. These are highly emotional issues. So they're really arguing about their own needs to somebody else who may work for a a big corporation and it won't hit them uh, as the way it would hit this other person. And so you've got these competing needs going and they just kind of go off. So it's more than just some intellectual discussion it becomes like this emotional discussion centered around survival or their perception of survival. And that, that's, it's hard to pass on that.
4: I think it's really interesting in your article, too, that you mentioned that uh, the positions that, that some of these individuals take on seems to correlate with their behavior and their personalities. I thought that was fascinating.
3: Yeah, I find that. Um, and, um, you know, I try to teach my students this. Um, that um, when somebody is taking a stand, um, not only may they, ha- uh, may they have a good reason for doing that, uh, given their history, their experiences in life, but it also might be reflective of their personality as well. And what I try to tell the students to do is listen to what they're complaining about, listen to what bothers them, and the way they've handled these things, and go back in time, um, trace, trace, back, trace them back in time, and see if they handle the same things no matter what the context is. And so you'll find that, uh, let's say, somebody who picks a fight uh, at a party might fight with a lot of people. And so the context then is not the most important thing, it's the process that's important the process of fighting and sometimes even therapists we get hung up on content what the couple are complaining about when in fact they might have been fighting their entire lives they might have learned how to fight in their families of origin they might they might have fought other uh, p- uh, partners in earlier relationships and all they do is fight 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 yeah. and so politics religion i mean sex finances these are great Topics or context to plug into a fighting type of process.
4: Yeah, um, and you bring up such a good point too. And it's interesting because I come from a, a, a more conservative family. However, my father tends to be uh, more liberal. More liberal, and he has kind of just adopted kind of a similar stance as you. You know what? When I'm in at these family gatherings, I'm just going to not bring up these certain issues and. Uh, yeah, he. I I admire him for that, and I I don't imagine it's easy to to be in the family when everybody else has a completely. I mean, not to be in the family, but to to not talk when so many other people have such a, a different opinion from him. And uh, one other thing that you mentioned, which I thought was really interesting, is that when we are arguing with somebody over a particular issue, whether it's politics or sex or religion. We're not just arguing with that one person, right?
3: oh no we're We're probably arguing with their parents. In fact, uh, when I give a talk uh, a uh, on the family of origin, I tend to put two folding chairs up on the stage with me, and I say to the audience, "I'd like to introduce you to my parents. They go with me wherever I go, and if I make any mistakes, you can blame them." <laughs> So, we are, so uh, we are arguing with parents, uh, their perspectives, their influences on the person uh, that we're arguing with, we're, argue, we're, we're, we're debating their personal experiences. We're tapping into so many things. Uh, so, for example, if you're talking to somebody who grew up really poor, and you don't know that, and you make some comment about um, the welfare system,
4: yeah,
3: uh, they're liable to just go off. They're liable to not be able to control yourself themselves, and you'll say, well, "Wait a minute, what's the, God? What's the big? What did I say? That's not so terrible." I, but to them, you tapped into something that was really emotional, really important, traumatic, maybe shaming, maybe embarrassing—I don't know. Whatever it is, and so you don't even know what you're arguing against. All you know you're, you're in the middle of this kind of you know, big fight, and you have no idea how it got there. Yeah, You probably said something that tapped into something.
4: So, Stephen, I'm really interested to know, because you're a family therapist, and I, I'm interested to know because I've had this question of why why is it so important to, to try to change somebody's mind? But there are it seems like there are situations in which you really do need to have somebody change their opinion or to change their behavior. So working with families or with couples that... You know, things are just not working out the way that they'd like. How do you? How are you able to get them to change their opinion or their viewpoint on their marriage or their family? How do you go about doing that?
3: Well, that, that's a great question, Jeff. Um, because I, I find that change, especially deep change, is really, really difficult. Yeah, I think you can you can learn to take out the trash. Uh, I don't think that'll take too much work, although for some people it, it might take a year of therapy to do that. <laughs> but um, but generally, a deeper change is, is really difficult to come by. And that's why I said in the article that it's hard enough to try to change somebody when they're paying for you to help them change. Right. Uh, let alone when you just meet them at a party or on a date or something. Um, so uh, I find that the person has to really want to change. They really have to Hate the situation they're in. I, I don't think they can just say, uh, now oh, it's, it's all right, or you know, it's, it's okay, I can live with it. They have, because change is so hard, they have to be able to say, I can't stand it anymore. Now, whether that's mm. they're fighting with their spouse all the time and it's caused them uh, physical problems, uh, whether their kids are acting out. Uh, and it's really damaging them. Whether they get, whether they're suffering from anxiety or depression, overwhelming anxiety or depression, they have to say, "I can't take it anymore." And, and part of my job is to kind of help them see the damage that their behavior, the current behavior, is, is doing. And, and, and then I basically say, "Do you want to do something about this? Is this worth fixing?" Because the other fascinating thing about this, even though you might look at a family, I might look at a family, we, we might say. That's horrible. Those people are getting something out of the way they're behaving. Yeah. Even if we think it's dysfunctional, even if we think it's damaging, they're still getting something out of it. And you've got to find out what that is and show them, look, uh, this is what you're getting. This is the consequences. Is that, you know, is that still the deal that you want to strike? Yeah. And hopefully they'll say, no, you know, I don't want my kid to be depressed anymore. I don't want to fight with my wife all the time. I do want to fix this, and then we can move on to try to do something about that.
4: Yeah. So, Stephen, these these opinions that we form that we have formed over our lifetime, really, uh, whether it be politics, religion, sex, all these topics that we've been covering today, uh, do we really have to abandon our values and principles to hear somebody out? Do we? I mean, if we if we start to agree with somebody, if they're actually starting to convince us that. Uh, you know, we should buy into their opinion. Do we really have to abandon our values and principles?
3: I, I really don't think so. I, in fact, I, I think that um, I see therapy as something that can help make adjustments because it's so hard to change at a deep level. And I think that what we want to do is it, it'll it'll help people to break up the rigidity. For hmm. example, uh, because that's what I think you want to aim at. You want to aim at lowering the emotion and breaking up the rigidity around an issue so that you can hear what the other person is saying and take it in. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to change. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to give up your values or anything. All it means is that you're not kind of screaming at the person, ready to punch the person out, and you could say, hmm, maybe I can learn something from this guy. Maybe I could take what he has to say, and I could take a piece of it, and I can add it to what I already believe in and what I already know, and then, hey, you know, I'll be covering a lot of ground. But to just lock, lock people out. And, I, and another point I wanted to make is about um, sometimes it's not just personal experiences um, that are so idiosyncratic you know, to the individual, but also, like, if you have a general family of origin uh, style that's rigid or closed, uh, then it's going to be hard to break out and, and kind of listen to what other people are saying. So I'm all for just, listen, that person... Could be your spouse. That person has something to say. And I've been doing it my way my whole life. It's cost me. I see that now. Hmm. But I don't have to abandon everything. But maybe I could just take something that that person has and add it to what I have, and I'll be much better off.
4: Yeah. Stephen, there, there's so much more we could talk about with this topic. Um, but just in closing here, a lot of people are going to be hosting family this weekend. They're going to be having a Christmas party. What is a, a in closing? What's one piece of advice that you could give to people as they as they gather at these parties or with these families?
3: I, I would say uh, try a little experiment. Try to listen to what somebody's saying and. And see if that could match up with the way you think in in some way and and also uh, see if you could use some of that to uh, strengthen your your um, it, you could use it to strengthen your value system, you could use it to enhance your value system, but just kind of just listen practice listening more than talking uh, because I think you might you might learn a lot more if you do it that way, and also when somebody says something that bothers you, try to think about. Before you react, try to think about what is it that that person said is bothering you? Why is that bothering me? What is it about me and my life experiences that makes this thing so, like, you know, toxic to me? So what makes me so want to react to it? What is it about me? I'm always for sort of looking at myself first.
4: Stephen, it's great advice, and uh, we really appreciate your time here on The Matt Townsend Show. You've been on the show before, and we hope to have you back again soon. That'd be great. Thanks, Jeff. Happy holidays, Stephen. His name is Stephen Betchen, and he is a licensed marriage and family therapist. And he's been talking to us about why it's so difficult to change someone's point of view. Maybe we just need to listen a little more, engage in conversation with maybe an open mind and an open heart. When we return, we'll continue continue the fun and the discussion here on The Matt Townsend Show. Friends, we just finished speaking with Stephen J. Betchen, who was talking to us about why it's so difficult to change someone's uh, point of view. And uh, I have some good takeaways from that. I think that whenever I engage in a conversation with somebody about whether or not Star Wars The Last Jedi was a a great movie, maybe I'll try to have more of an open mind and not just look for, "Okay, I'm going to find out. What your complaint is, and then I'm going to tear that apart. Where's grandma wrong? I'll show her. Yeah. Wait, hold on. And I don't know. Maybe I'm just worried. I think maybe there's fear on both sides of the argument. Maybe there's fear, like, if this person is successful in making me second-guess my standpoint— Then maybe I won't enjoy the movie as much, and I want to enjoy the movie. And in fact, when I went, I had a great time. And all I'm I'm just not—I'm trying to tune out all of these negative things that have been said about the film. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm afraid that if I start to listen to those haters, that I won't enjoy the movie as much.
6: And, you know, caution, especially over, as we're talking about the holiday weekend and everything, you don't want to walk away from the whole experience thinking that Uncle Frank is a fascist. Oh, don't sure. do that. Just, you know, have yeah. a nice conversation. Right. Maybe feel out the room. See if that's something that, uh, I mean, if you're all on the same side of the argument, even that gets heated. Sure. Because there's different levels oh, yeah. of that side of the argument. And there's some people that just don't want to talk about it, and that ruins their experience. Right. And so, uh, kind of, I
4: tread cautiously. So you're going to, you're going to try to help us uh, not be like Uncle yes. Frank, or to not have an Uncle Frank experience. My solution is you
6: need to come into the situation with maybe three to five stories. Matt has talked about this. Matt Townsend. Oh. He's talked about anxiety about being in public places, being yeah. in large groups. You have to have these conversations, which usually amount to nothing, and it just seems like. You're wasting. These are all my feelings. It's like you're wasting your time. (laughs) But if you prepare and you come into the situation with two or three, maybe four options, you have to do a little internet searching and that kind of thing. There's all kinds of fun stories, but you have to find those stories that are not like you know. Depressing. Find, they're nonsense. Now, this one. This one's an example. Okay. Hotel in Fairmont, San The Fairmont in San Francisco. It's a hotel. Okay. Um, they created a life-size gingerbread house. Ooh. Right? Now, you, you and your it. family made gingerbread trains the other That's day? That's right. That we were saying. And I
4: had a wonderful uh, joke that fell flat uh, among I think Terry we, and I think Matt, we improved it. But the audience loved it. So the joke was, how do you know the audience like that? Oh, can you hand me that vanilla wafer? I need it for my train, but it's going to go straight to my caboose. Huh? But but you complicated it by, like, it's not a Nilla wafer. Yeah, that, it fell flat before I even got to the punchline. There's line. too much explanation in it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, we understand. So, full-size gingerbread house. My,
6: my wife and my son made a gingerbread house, mm-hmm. and they have it sitting there on the table. My kid's been, can I eat this? Yeah, go ahead. Because <laughs> it, it's all edible, right? Well, so this one's huge. It says, every Christmas, the hotel, the Fairmont San Francisco Hotel... Their engineering and culinary departments team up to produce a building on a Hansel and Gretel scale. Mm. Flat gingerbread bricks line the house's facade. Small pieces curve to line the windows. Each brick is attached with snow-white royal icing, whatever that is. Mm. The house culinary team also uses the icing to pipe in the cracks between bricks, sealing them firmly together. The sweet cement is made of egg whites, vinegar, and sugar. It also goes off that way. The house's entire footprint is 35 feet by 10 and a half feet. It's, 20, wow. it's 25 feet tall. How much does it weigh? It doesn't say. Well, oh. nah, We'll get there. Okay. It says the bottom floor has a toy-filled workshop where children <laughs> and the occasional adult press their faces against the glass for a look inside.
4: There has to be some form of wood there involved. There has to be. If you
6: have glass, the gingerbread's yeah. not going to hold that in. So another nook in the house has a six-foot-tall nutcracker. The second floor is off-limits but features a spinning Christmas tree, which is fun to watch. <laughs> it's modeled after a, uh, a home in San Francisco, so they use yeah. that as kind of the blueprint. The full-house home? Uh, the Painted Lady Victorian Homes. I'm not sure
4: what so, that no. is. Okay.
6: Um, for the last five years, the gingerbread and candy has decorated the ever-expanded wooden frames. There is a wooden frame mm-hmm. to it. Each year, the candy covers a new and larger layer of uh, the masonite siding. So they actually put like mm. siding and then build that on top. So that's good yeah. the, they have like a house underneath it and then put the gingerbread on top of it. Though competitive gingerbread house makers and purists might object to non-edible substances being used, it's necessary to support the combined weight. Of course. Of 10,250 <gasps> gingerbread bricks, which is 300 and then 3,300 pounds of icing and 1,650 pounds of candy. Does it have a total on there? Because
4: it's too early for math.
6: Not totally. Okay. It's huge. Whatever the weight is on this thing, it's huge. Yeah. The first iteration was a display surrounding the entire entryway to the hotel. Uh, the hotel's court restaurant, since then the house has expanded each year, the most recent addition is a dining room for 12 guests. So every year they just, hey, let's wow. do this bigger, and they just keep adding
4: on. They just bring you out a plate yeah, of, they take of out a, graham crackers They take and out candy. a loan with the bank, you know, <laughs> and just kind of keep doing the home interest stuff, so. Wow. Well, I if you're near San Francisco, it sounds like something you want to check out. right. Anyway, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to continue the holiday fun when we return. This is the Matt Townsend show. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, we've talked a lot about family gatherings in this first hour. Sometimes we're uh, we're scared to approach different members of the family for various reasons. Maybe they're a close talker or they hug too long. But... Uh, what about uh, people's accessories?
6: Yeah, a New York City man who says he has a fear of the Tasmanian devil. I don't know if it's the real one or the one from Looney Tunes, but each way. He claims his father-in-law repeatedly scared him with a toupee that looks like the cartoon character. So it's the Tasmanian <laughs> devil from Looney Tunes, right? The New York Post reports that this man was arrested in November for violating a restraining order filed by his son-in-law. The 36-year-old says the, uh, the father-in-law terrorized him at a funeral by waving the hairpiece and snarling that oh Staten goodness. Island man says he had a fear of the Tasmanian devil his entire life. The uh, He claims his father-in-law has taken advantage of his phobia since 2013. He has filed a restraining order in September following an altercation with his father-in-law at a restaurant. An attorney says this is a family dispute. They face charges of criminal contempt and activa- a- aggravated harassment for violating the restraining order because the toupee... Reminds the man of the Tasmanian Devil from the Looney Tunes cartoons.
4: Wow. I've never heard of illegal use of a toupee before. Right. That's crazy. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So it is Looney Tunes. It is the Looney Tunes Tasmanian Devil. Were you ever scared of the Tasmanian Devil? No, I actually welcomed him in the show because he tore everything up. He's funny. He's affable. Mm. But destructible. I mean, destructful
6: or destructive. He has a Hulk-like quality where you just sort of aim him at the problem and he just takes care of it.
4: Yeah, I it's, have. It's I have, mindless destruction. I have two of those.
6: Yeah, yeah. They're called children.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, go home and give your little Tasmanian devils a kiss. It's Christmas after all, right? Anyway, when we return, we're going to continue the Christmas fun here on The Matt Townsend Show. The BBC News is up next.
0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter.
1: At Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
7: BYU Radio.
4: Good morning. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson filling in for Dr. Matt. I'm joined here by Terry South, our wonderful producer, and Cole Wissinger, And uh, during the break, we were talking about candy, and now I'm getting incredibly hungry for candies of various kinds. I was about to tell you, Cole, though, the older I get, the simpler my candy preferences become. Isn't that interesting? You don't need
5: all the bells and whistles you once did. It doesn't have to be a take five where they jam just everything in there.
4: Right. And, you know, I've also noticed that my preferences have uh, gone from the... More sugary, uh, fruity candies. To, Twizzlers, maybe? Oh, never Twizzlers. Red vines, then. I love red vines. <laughs> to More to the just chocolate. Yeah. So if I'm, if I'm given the option of chocolate or, like, say, a Skittle, which is, is wonderful, I'm going to take the chocolate.
5: People never understood. I have always been this way. People have never understood when, I ask, when they ask for my favorite kind of a chocolate bar or my favorite treat, I just want a Hershey Plain. That's really? all I need. All I wow. need to be happy. Don't put peanuts in it. Don't put peanut butter in you it. You like almonds? Don't put pretzel in it. Almond Don't Hershey
4: put... is a great thing. No. Just wow.
5: Hershey plain. That's all I need.
4: Wow. So this uh, Russell Stover Almond Delight Almonds and Caramel nope. chocolate not that, delightful that was put on my put put desk would not be tempting it. to you. Uh, by the way, I have another... Uh, Another topic that could probably, that it is very controversial, and that is, do you think it's pronounced caramel or caramel?
5: I'm a simple man of the people. It's caramel.
4: Terry, caramel, caramel, which is it? Depends on my audience. Whoa. Explain
6: if I feel maybe there's more of a sophistication to the audience, it's caramel. <laughs> you want to sound yeah. smarter. If it's okay. more of like the, the man of the people, the people that really know me, then it's Caramel.
4: Okay. All right. If
6: I'm looking, I see if how I'm it looking is. to make an impression, caramel.
4: But I want to know the true you. What does the true oh, Terry Okay. It's like Sherbet and Sorbet. Really? I don't yeah. say either. What I'm, do you from, say? I'm from SoCal. So I say Sherbert. Sherbert. There's Sherbert. Yeah. What did I say? Sherbet? Sher- uh,
6: sherbet. And then there's sorbet.
2: Yes.
5: I've never heard sorbet before. See, there was a woman, I, I, w-
6: I was eating at this dinner, and this woman was, would you like some uh, some dessert? We have, the, you know, she said some kind of ice cream, and then we have a sorbet, and I went, oh, sherbet? And she went, no, sorbet, and I went. Yeah, I'll take some sherbet. Do you have a rainbow sherbet? I love rainbow sherbet. Yeah. <laughs> and I did it because throughout the entire meal she had this sort of like like she was like putting on this show of sophistication. It was kind of like uh jarring. Yeah. You, you know, so yeah. I really made a big deal about it. it was kind of, her husband's at the end of the table like, Oh wow, what are you doing?
5: <laughs> Is there a difference in the recipe between sherbet and froyo? Well,
6: I'm not
4: sure.
5: Because those Hmm. seem like the same stuff. Yeah, they
4: seem all similar. That's where
5: I would go. I'd fro yo, is my kind of.
4: I want to bring up a good point. This is one of the ways in which the Matt Townsend show is good for your marriage. Now, let me explain. Over this week, we've been talking a lot about the debate my wife and I have been having about how many days until Christmas. Right. Which is kind of a stupid thing to be arguing about. But perplexing. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone's got these advent calendars. Do you
6: count today? Yeah. Or is today done and you do not count today because you've already started today? Yeah. And we have – Do you count Christmas Day or –
5: after all, We've... there's only three more sleeps till Christmas. See? Thank
4: you, Kermit. But what day is that? Mm. Today, See?
5: there's three more.
4: Are you sure? Wait sleeps a minute. I, I'm, I'm trying
5: to tell
6: Hold you on, how to it's, it's helping my <laughs> this marriage. This is what we did with his jokes okay? too, this week. Go ahead. Because
4: uh. you brought up a good example of a word that I probably mispronounce, mm. even though I know it may be pronounced a different way. Um, I'm sticking with the way that I was brought up to pronounce it, right? Stick with your Sherbert, roots, right? Right. right. And yet, I always get on my wife's case about saying "ketchup" instead of "ketchup," even though it's spelled "ketchup," right? Okay, but
6: but th- see, there are some products that actually say "ketchup" on it.
4: I. But what, what's the I product question, you purchased? I it question say ketchup? the country in which that was produced. Well, I know, but um, so this is good for me because. I I Do you spell it, it with a C or a K. It didn't occur to me that we were both using Cats words that are are not pronounced correctly. Yeah, and yet we just want to continue pronouncing it the way that we've enjoyed pronouncing it but throughout wouldn't it our be lives. Would it be better if she did it your way? You know, I'll, it, there's a little <laughs> give and there's a little take. We just better went to for your marriage. Yeah, too, yeah, yeah. Better. We just we just went to a just a pizza place last night, and they had a cup okay up there that said take a penny. Leave a penny. All right. So maybe that's the principle that which we should did, focus on. Which one did on. you do? Take or leave? Um, I I did neither. In fact, I actually just questioned. Wait a minute. You have an iPad to take people's credit cards. Yeah, who's who's leaving pennies? pennies? <laughs> and who even charges pennies? Right. That's fun. Anyway. Hmm. Can you believe in those first six minutes or so, we've covered so many topics that are going to help your marriage. Pronunciation. Yep. Give and take, candy Mainly preferences. Chocolate. Yes, chocolate will help a lot. The main, the main rule I think is uh,
6: don't correct other people's speech if you don't want the fight that follows.
4: Well, you don't want a magnifying glass to turn right back around That's on you, you and and have them we'll, identify all the words that you mispronounce. Right. Anyway, man, this has been a productive six minutes speaking of productivity Terry what is going on around the rest of the country uh, we talked
6: yesterday a little Go bit on. about the uh, US ambassador to the United Nations Nikki Haley read a statement from the US government condemning all the other nations at the UN uh, Council who were about to vote on uh, President Trump deciding to move the capital or the uh, the embassy in Israel to Jerusalem when President so, Trump
4: made the announcement, there was a fifteen-minute standing ovation. <laughs> well, that's that's a
6: different story. Okay,
4: but she,
6: they can there. She did, it was in the Security Council, and the U.S. had to use a, a veto vote to stop that vote. Yeah, and it came out to like fourteen to one. Everyone was against the United States moving the embassy to Jerusalem. Yeah, and yesterday there was an entire uh, UN vote on this, and she got up and she said, "We will remember who you are." We will take names, right? (laughs) So it goes, the United Nations General Assembly voted 128 to 9 on Thursday to declare Americans' recognition of Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, null and void, with 35 countries abstaining. Wow. So you had people just not involved in it, nine countries deciding to go with the U.S., and 128 saying, this is wrong. Oh, my goodness. The vote represents overwhelming international disapproval of the Trump administration's controversial decision. The U.S. was forced to use a rare veto vote during a U.N. Security Council 14 to 1 vote earlier this month on the same issue. Turkish President Erdogan, who has been an outspoken critic of Washington's decision on Thursday, said, I am calling on the whole world. Never sell your democratic will. In a return for petty dollars. But the United States ambassador to the UN Nikki Haley warned before the General Assembly vote Thursday that America will be taking names of countries that voted to condemn the administration's decision. Now that mm. the administration is arguing we're a sovereign nation and we're recognizing another sovereign nation's capital city. Yeah. By moving our embassy there. Yeah. So it's this weird situation, but like the entire it looks like the vast majority of the planet governments do not like this at all wow. i'm a They're big fan games. of the
5: 35 countries that do what i do around a family dinner and just, just don't talk about I'm it saying, I'm <laughs> i'll just get out of this
6: in other news a day after the republicans passed their sweeping tax overhaul legislation which repealed the affordable care act uh the individual mandate part of the affordable care act senate majority leader mitch mcconnell said in an interview with npr that republicans likely will not prioritize the full repeal of obamacare next year I think the repeal of the individual mandate takes the heart out of Obamacare, he says. We want to steady the insurance markets if we can, and I think we'll probably be addressing that part of the health care sometime next year. He said we'll probably move on to other issues when asked about a broader repeal bill. His remarks come in slightly contrast to those of President Trump, who on Wednesday falsely declared that Obamacare has been repealed, (laughs) when it's just the mandate, which Mm. makes you pay a penalty if you do not have health care. Is there any possibility that he
4: was telling the truth? I'm, I don't know. It okay. depends on who's talking to him. Because, I mean, is it possible that it was repealed, but nobody else knew about it? I don't know.
6: <laughs> uh, late night comics last night were like, hey, maybe if we show him the, the Great Wall of China, he'll think they've already built the wall. And <laughs> <laughs> the end of it all, who knows? That's funny. It's like I'm saying, it depends on his, who's counseling him, who's giving him his information as he's talking about a bill. There was a website last night. They took the tax bill and they read it word for word. Yeah. It took them 10 hours. The guy just sat there and goes,
4: okay, subsection B of this, you wow. know,
6: and just went right through the entire tax bill. And he know, had this stack of paper that he was going through of all of
4: it. You know what's funny? At this point, it, it's probably, it was probably easier to build the wall of China than it will be to build a wall
6: <laughs> It'll, <laughs> it'll <the> feel <laughs> that
4: way, except for <laughs> people died building the Great
6: no, Wall of I, China. No, I'm well aware. I'm well aware. Yeah. <laughs> Uh so there was a stop, a stop gap spending bill passed last night so the government mm-hmm. will not shut down at midnight tonight. Yay! So yay yeah, except they just kicked it down the road to January 19th. Boo! They did fund chip, the childhood <gasps> the child health insurance program. The California highway? Oh. No, no, okay, no, sorry. the child health insurance program, <laughs> 9 million kids use this. Coles has got right? that in my mind now. Lots of states were sending out notices to people who need
4: yeah. health insurance
6: for the yeah. kids for like cancer and those kinds of things. Saying, hey, it's going to run out. We're not going to have any funding for this. Now it's funded through, well, January 19th. So it's funded for another couple weeks. Okay. So that's good. Uh, Dick Emberg, have you ever heard that name? Uh, I did see this. He's I a didn't... renowned sports broadcaster. Dick Enberg died at the age of 82. His family confirmed late Thursday. Enberg failed to get onto a flight to Boston Thursday, and he was later found dead with his bags packed at his home in San Diego. Oh. So, yeah. He, uh, Enberg's family said they believe he suffered from a heart attack. Uh, Though no official cause of death has uh, been confirmed as of yet. Enberg was a legend in sports broadcasting, having covered 28 Wimbledons, 10 Super Bowls, eight NCAA men's basketball title games... Uh, over the decade-long career, Emberg known for his cry of "Oh my!" as he uh, key moments. You can watch the highlights on YouTube. Oh or, my! Is was, that what it sounded like? No, no, no. Oh, that's George. He Dekay. was he was uh, the only sports broadcaster to win an Emmy award in three
4: categories: really, broadcasting, writing, and producing. I Dick Emberg. I don't think I've ever heard of this guy. Maybe because did, you didn't mention anything about baseball in
5: there. Well, he was baseball as well. Mm-hmm. And really? Whenever you talk about touch them all going around the bases, that was Dick Emberg I thought as well. that was
4: like a, a Pokemon slogan.
5: Got to touch them all.
4: Was he – I was trying
6: to – I think he was involved with the Padres.
4: Oh, and I should know about that. They're they're, they're in my neck of the woods or yeah. were in well, my neck of the woods? Well, he was definitely down
5: there. He was UCLA basketball Is for sure. Is that what sure. he did? Because um, I, I
6: know he had he'd stepped away from, say, the national networks. He worked yeah. for NBC forever. He covered yeah. the Olympics a lot. Oh. Um, but he uh, – let's see. He, I'm trying to do this on my phone. Sorry about that.
5: <laughs> Getting all the information you need. I'm
4: not, I'm not even familiar with those catchphrases. Oh, my. Or – Touch them all, going around I the don't, bases. I know. doubt that even sounds like him. I have he's, no idea what he sounds like. That's what he looks like.
6: Yeah, I d- really. D- not Look nothing. him up. He's good. He's uh, he's a. Uh, I think he went to work. I I'm, I want to say he worked for the Padres.
4: I guarantee you, Spencer and Jerem know who he is, but I've never heard of him.
6: Yeah, he's in <laughs> the the Sports Broadcaster Hall of Fame and. Uh, he was the voice. I thought he. Yeah, he was. Um, yeah, he w- He finished his career as the broadcaster, daily broadcaster for the Padres.
4: The only uh, it's got to be it's got to be TV or or movie related. You know that. I mean, the only sports thing that I'm aware of on TV is uh, what was it? Bob Eustace who was Euchre. Bob Euchre, who yep. was the dad on Mister Belvedere, right. Yeah. I loved that show. But look him up. Take it. Take an opportunity to look him up. There's some great
6: play-by-play play calls he's involved in. There's kind of a cool little YouTube thing to do today.
4: By the way, one of the funniest Saturday Night Live sketches, in my opinion, has to do uh, revolves around Mr. Belvedere, ah. and it features Tom Hanks. You should go check it out. So, holiday weekend. There's a lot of myths
6: involved with some of the great like elements of the holiday sure. weekend. Poinsettias. Yes. That's even how you say the word?
5: That's another is pronunciation a issue. Is it poinsettia? Yeah. Is an extra, you I did know. a lot of research for this last year because I voiced our BYU radio promo right. that said, BYU is playing in the poinsettia bowl, and I didn't want to... Yeah,
6: I like uh, had said to do people. that with some stuff I did this year for BYU football. It's like, ah. <laughs> uh, I mean, we, there's, there's, there's Polynesian names on the team, which are kind of difficult to pronounce at times. You have to look sure. them up and figure, yeah. those are no big deal. But that word was the only thing this whole year that stopped me. So I stopped. What, how do you? And I had to look up on YouTube. The problem is, there's like four different versions of the word. Uh, I looked
5: up how the Utah people prefer it heard, and I just went with that.
6: What I found is that specific bowl game that doesn't exist anymore, the poinsettia bowl, mm-hmm. they wanted it, I think, was poinsettia. That's okay. how they ah, had their corporate branding. Their brand. I'm like, let's go with you guys. That's a good way to go with
4: this. Well, little, no, little known fact the P is actually silent. So
6: there's let's see, uh, Indiana University pediatrician interviewed for this article talking about holiday myths cited a study of more than twenty thousand Poison Control Center reports involving contact with poinsettias. Oh dear! In none of oh those cases, in none of those cases were there death, seri- deaths or serious injury. In fact, more than ninety five percent of them required zero medical care. There's this myth that you can, if you eat or if you touch the plant, it could give you a rash. If you eat it, you're poisoned. Hmm. Right. Have you ever been tempted to eat a poinsettia? No, but children okay, like it because it's red yeah. and stuff. And they're, what they're <laughs> saying is there's it's not deadly for humans or their pets. It may give you an upset stomach, but that's about it. So okay, so you know. that's a myth. Uh snow. Should you eat the snow?
2: Ooh.
6: And, and what they're saying is uh, moisture and high, on the high in the – well, that's, he talks about that too. High in the atmosphere is frozen by – uh, moisture high in the atmosphere frozen by clinging to particles that may include dust specks and soot, just smoke and pollution and stuff in the air. Yeah. So should you – and there's germs, right? Mm. So germs and bacteria, they're saying that bacteria commonly found on plants are surprisingly abundant in ice particles present in snow from populated areas – and barren mountain peaks and even Antarctica. So it's like we're putting – stuff. I mean the pollution in the air that's – Global
5: rum- warming is ruining
6: well, that's, what he's talking snowflakes. <laughs> <about. laughs> now he goes, is catching a snowflake on your tongue a bad idea? Are you poisoning yourself? And he goes, there's a yuck factor when you get into the details and see what it's made up of. And he goes, I'd recommend avoiding the yellow snow. Sure. Uh, he said the number of bacteria in snow would probably be about 100-fold less than in the same amount of uh, bottled water.
4: Snow and So your hot-
6: bottled water has more bacteria than the snow falling from
4: the sky. So you're so- probably saying. With soot inside of it. With soot. Yeah. So snow yeah, and worse. hot dogs, two things that you don't question, you just enjoy. Cookie dough. Do you eat the cookie dough? I'm not a big cookie dough eater.
5: Always in moderation. Now, the rule I've
6: always heard is if it has eggs in it, you want to avoid that. If okay. not, it's fine. Well, recently, as of just a few months ago... A study published last month in the New England Journal of Medicine found uh, details of an E. coli outbreak that hit dozens of people in 2016 in 24 states that was linked to flour. Really? Some patients had eaten or handled raw dough made with flour contaminated
4: with bacteria. I thought people just wanted to eat the raw cookie dough so they could be more like Rocky. Right. You know, because of the raw eggs. So the headline
6: from the Food and Drug Administration... A Consumer update. The flour. So the headline said, raw dough is a raw deal. Ooh. They're telling you to avoid all, all cookie dough because the flour can have bacteria in it, and that is eliminated when you cook it, but that raw flour could be the problem.
4: A prime example of what our previous guest was talking about, how there are some things you're just not going to change people's mind on, and that is one of them. And the final, They're going
6: to keep the, eating the cookie dough. The final dough. myth is holiday weight gain.
4: People – there was one study that's always quoted five pounds between Thanksgiving and New Year's. So you're telling me the weight that I feel like I'm gaining right now is not actually occurring. What it's imaginary. The, what the study
6: mm. found is the average person is you gain a little less than a pound. Other studies have found it's closer to two pounds but still barely enough to make your fan, your pants feel tight, right? Sure. The problem uh, – the the person they're interviewing here says is that the extra pound or two at the holiday time becomes a pattern year after year. That's what adds up.
1: Oh so
6: it's adding your, up the year. So it's not only even every Christmas, it's you just continue that
4: behavior throughout the entire year and then you gain weight. This is great news. So what I'm hearing from you is I can eat what I want, and I'm not going to gain more than two pounds. Well, everything
6: – as every nutritionist that's come on this show with some great new breakthrough, it's Ooh. always
4: in moderation. You can't just go nuts. This is a Christmas miracle, Terry. This is what I'm hearing from the you. The key is – And whether or not it's true, that's what I'm going to choose to believe. The
6: key is eat normal yes. on the normal days.
4: On the holidays,
6: enjoy yourself because you're not going to have that food all the time. You don't have pumpkin pie at the ready at every moment or apple pie or whatever you're eating at the holidays. But on the other days, you don't just continue plowing through the apple pie. Well, you got to finish something once you start it, right? Well, the key is, is have somebody else make it. You have a piece of their apple pie, and then they keep it. Then you can go on with your day. So go have Thanksgiving at somebody else's house. right. Don't have leftovers because they're bad. Mm. Unless you want them, and then you have to just kind of deal with the fact that you're going to probably put on some weight. Yeah. But then you get a New Year's resolution. You can just take it all off. Right, and then you'll pay a gym, and then you won't go. Just like everyone else, and you'll continue to fund all these gyms that no one's at.
4: (laughs) See, wow. This is is good material. This is good insight that we're giving you on the Matt Townsend Show today. We've learned that all those foods that we talked about at the top of the hour, the candies, the gingerbread, you can eat them with abandon, with reckless abandon, and you're not going to gain more than two pounds. Right,
5: Cole? Reckless abandon is another way to say moderation. That's what I heard as well.
4: Hmm. I think we heard different things I'm just going to go with the one that allows me to do what I want In the quantities that I want Speaking of moderation We're going to be speaking with our next guest about Millennials And specifically the Millennial Money Fix With our guest Douglas Bonaparte When we return, this is the Matt Townsend Show Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson filling in for Dr. Matt. Some of the stereotypes about millennials is that they are the me generation, are self-entitled, and are lazy. Although these stereotypes may be false, another stereotype about millennials being financially illiterate might actually be true. The nation's student loan debt may suggest this stereotype is true at more than $1.3 trillion. How did we get to this point? Well, Douglas Bonaparte, an expert financial advisor and author of The Millennial Money Fix, is here today with us to share about the financial challenges facing millennials. Douglas, welcome to The Matt Townsend Show.
2: Thanks so much.
4: How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I I hope you're gearing up to have uh, happy holidays. Yeah, yeah, we're looking forward to it. Excellent. Thank you so much for being on the show. We argue so much on this show about millennials in general, mainly just the age. They like to give me a hard time because I'm kind of right on the border of millennial. And I think there's a new one called Xennial where I'm I don't know. But anyway, (laughs) I I digress. Um, I'm curious to know about some of these financial challenges that are facing millennials today. What are they?
2: Yeah. And, uh, you know, to start out, I would say that, you know, it's not just millennials that are financially illiterate or lack financial education. It, it, it's a societal problem.
3: Oh, sure. But there
2: are, yeah, but there are some things here that are specific to the demographic and the generation. And primarily, it's, you mentioned it, student loan debt. So we have a disproportionately more student loan debt than any other generation. And that's from the high cost of education. So that, that's the, the primary factor there. And the other component is the labor environment. It's a dramatically different labor environment than we've ever seen before. So these are our headwinds, let's say, that make navigating our financial lives relatively more difficult than the generations before us.
4: So what are some of the solutions that that we have in place to help millennials not have these financial challenges that they're facing?
2: Sure, and that's having... Financial education, and what's so great about financial literacy and financial education is one, it's really not that hard to get a solid foundation, and that's what the book aims to do. You know, it's going to give you every lesson you should have received about personal finance, but didn't. We're g- we're going to solve that for you right now. And what this is going to do for you is let you approach any financial decision, any life decision you need to make, and and make it. Um, objectively, and start making financial decisions that work best for your life.
4: So, what does? Because clearly, you, you mentioned that this is not just a problem for millennials, but it's a problem for a lot of people, right? What are what are the financial needs, or how are the financial needs different for millennials than the generations that that have come before them?
2: It's a great question. In many ways, they're they're not too different. You know, I, I listen to all these. Uh,
4: more stereotypes,
2: right, of how millennials only want to live in city centers and they don't want to buy houses. and You know, this, this is the trend. And, and I really think that's a myth. But for millennials, the things that are different about kind of the way that they spend money, you know, if you ask my grandparents, you know, when they were kids or they were a millennial's age, right, when they were millennials, just kidding, um, <laughs> would they have Internet and cell phone bills to pay? So there's, there's some interesting stuff to be said about Kind of the consumerism that we have, and the these new fixed costs in our lifestyle. But the book is really going to point to the student loan debt. When you send young people into the world um, with this uh, burden of debt, it's going to start taking financial resources, namely savings, away from millennials. So where we would ordinarily Saving for homes and families and starting our lives, quote unquote, we're seeing a lot of that money go to the educations that we purchased for ourselves, thinking, thinking that they would give us the return on investment that they were told that we were told they would, and there's the issue because you have uh, a society that's financially illiterate you're not going to be able to objectively make that financial decision about educating yourself. So really, you know, that's, that's where we see it happening in older millennials. They're already, you know, they're already in it it's more than likely school is over for them and they already have their bag of debt for the youngest in the cohort. There's still an opportunity to think about that return on your education and how to apply that towards what it is you want to do in life and the, and the amount of really self-honesty that comes in. So, we're going to cover the whole spectrum of millennial.
4: Yeah, and you know, some of the material that you sent us, you mentioned that uh, some private schools charge the amount of a mortgage on a house. So maybe that's why these millennials don't want homes. <laughs> maybe, it,
2: maybe their student loan debt burden reminds us right. of the mortgage they're about to There's take a negative,
4: negative connotation there, yeah. So, yeah. do you, I mean... In general, or does it look like millennials are are paying off their student debts? You mentioned student debt, or are most of them not paying them off?
2: I would tell you that most of them are fighting the good fight and trying to delever themselves. I think those those who feel you know overly emotional towards their student loans we call these the, these folks the Eagles who will go to you know any any uh, any path necessary to pay down their student loan debt, they'll throw every dollar at it. Um, but I feel millennials as a whole are doing a good job. You know, they 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 don't want to bear. They want to move forward with with the great things in life, like I've mentioned, owning homes, having kids, and starting families. So, um, yeah, there, there there's a lot of push towards it. But at the same time, um, when you get to situations where the student loan debt uh, for an individual is so large you see the the more sad stories behind this, which is continual accrual of debt or the inability to make enough money uh, to service that debt or even cover the interest. And that is what puts people in very precarious financial positions that often will require great sacrifice. And we covered that as well. You know, you could be anywhere in your financial life, beginning, middle, and pick this up and be any generation. And be like, huh? Okay, I now have order and structure to thinking about my financial life.
4: Is there any way? I I don't know if this if this is a thing, but is there any way that people can, in an in a sense, claim loan uh, bankruptcy or or default on their loan? Just it just have a clean slate? Like a, no, there's no way.
2: Yeah, wow. no. This this is something where it's it's going to stick with you It's very. Rare, uh, in very rare instances. I was actually talking to a very good friend, a college friend of mine who became uh, a very good bankruptcy attorney, and I was picking his brain on what he knew about this. And, you know, to make a long story short, he said, again, in very rare instances, are you going to be able to uh, discharge this kind of debt? And we talk about that as well in the book and why, you know, folks who are trying to game the system through you know, I say game with quotes around it, but why don't I just go on an income-driven plan for 25 years and have my you know, debt discharged? You know, there are ways to kind of configure this, and we point to uh, or explain that that's a bad idea. So to your point, these things, they're not going anywhere. You have to address them. You can't be the other bird we talk about, the ostrich, that just is going to put its head way down in the dirt and pretend like these loans aren't there.
4: That can be really tough, I, I can imagine, especially for somebody who's, you know, they've, they have this enormous debt. And let's say they decide not to uh, continue on with the field of study that they set out to, to accomplish at, at the onset. So what do those people do that are going in a different path or are not able to find work in the, in the area that they would like to?
2: So that's every undergraduate student pretty much ever. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. I can't tell you how many people say, I'm gonna go study this. I mean I studied public relations. Right. Honestly was was a communications guy. I became a financial advisor. What do you what do you know? <laughs> you know, my wife and co author um, did pure journalism and became uh, an attorney. So yeah. so so much for that. But you know, you're touching on the fact that what we got to do, and I don't think millennials are going to be the ones to crack this code, is we need to be able to put kids, right, in a position to think about higher education. Um, and, and this is why that financial education piece is so important. That's, that's how you do it. But you have to think about, how am I going to get a return on this investment and pay for my college education and not put myself in that hole? It's, it's not hard math. You know, you can do the research to find out what rent is in the city that you want to work in because you need that job you're studying for. Like, You can put these pieces together, research very easy data, and figure, okay, if I'm going to take a loan out of this size, I got to pay back this much each month. Let me go look at the jobs that are paying. Well, okay, wow, I can't live in New York City, pay $2,000 a month in rent, an $800 a month student loan payment and make $50,000. Like, it doesn't work. You can do that for almost any situation. Notice how I did that right here, right now. Yeah. If we, you know, we're Googling around, we could start putting numbers in those things. It would take us 15 minutes to get a really good back-of-the-envelope look at whether or not paying for an education sure. is going to be worth it. And, and, like, that's, and I'm getting passionate right now because how come you can't, how come we can't teach that? Sure. Um, It's a a simple setup, and that's fundamental personal finance right there, and that literally would prevent somebody from making a financial mistake that they could be repaying for for the rest of their
4: life. And, you know, by the way, $2,000 in New York kind of sounds like a bargain. Kind of makes me want to take another look at New York.
2: (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, $2,000 meant you had four roommates so don't get too excited.
4: Yeah, Yeah, right, yeah. We're speaking with Douglas Bonaparte, uh, who is a financial expert, and he's the co-author of the book The Millennial Money Fix. Douglas, I kind of want to shift gears here. uh, Go for it. And I'm curious to know about the history of the U.S. and how how it comes into play with how millennials treat their finances. Yeah, that
2: that was a fun part of the book to write, and I'm kind of glad you're talking about that. I haven't quite been asked about you know the historical and, and kind of research part here and what i really tried to do was figure out okay what's what's happening here from generation to generation how, in other words how did financial illiteracy or being uh having a lack of financial education how come if we're all financially illiterate why did that catch up to millennials the most and Damn. what what i did is i kind of went generation to generation here and notice that, one, you know, people's financial lives were relatively easier. You know, there were less slippery financial products um, 30, 40, 50 years ago. But it also mostly had to do with the attitudes of the generation. I looked at my, you know, my grandpa and my grandparents. My grandpa was your, your, your World War II vet hero with all the stories and his yeah. my hero. You know, you paid that kind of sacrifice. You came back. You know, opened a men's clothing store in the Bronx. You know, built a business, sold it, retired. You know, had a pension. So there are a lot more guarantees, a lot more safety nets, and the way the labor market worked, or the, the, the way jobs were back then, you, you could have that kind of opportunity. You know, and then and then we go from there to baby boomers who. Um, you know, find themselves, and and by the way, before I go to the baby boomers, the greatest generation, you know, they saw some things. You know, they oh saw yeah, World War II. They saw the depression, and it's really those events that shape their attitudes with money. So you get to, you know, but by the way, not not being necessarily financially literate, just like fear was a motivating factor to towards their way, and, and usually fear is a good driver for, yeah. for good money decisions. It's not ideal, but it it, it tends to. Uh, keep you from going too far astray. So this, this, that that relationship is basically going to degrade over time. So things get more complex. Enter the baby boomers. They they too see some things from civil rights to Vietnam, but you know, relative to their parents, not as much. Now things are getting more complex. Um, and and you, you get to millennials where, you know, I'm an 80s, I'm an 80s 90s kid, like relative peace time. It was an awesome time to grow up and be a kid that wasn't, you know, all of these uh, crazy events going on in the world. Financial systems are getting more and more complex. The cost of education is going way, way, way up. And now you can see where this is all going. We're no more financially educated than the generations before us. And throw the student loan debt in there boom, and you have why this is becoming such an interesting and uh, complicated problem for the generation.
4: Yeah. Uh, Douglas, in your book, you talk about GTL, and I'm curious to know what that stands for and uh, why it's important in finances.
2: Yeah, so we we try to throw, you know, personal finance um, as, as excited as I am about the Topic. This is the first time I think personal finance is actually becoming, dare I say, cool. But relatively speaking, <laughs> not, not relatively speaking, we're talking about personal finance here. It's, it's quite boring to most people. I totally get it. So throwing pop, re, you know, pop culture references in the book was, was good. GTL came from, this is embarrassing. You know, the Jersey Shore, not, not quite the highlight of the, <laughs> the, the generations. Uh, you know, this is the cream of the crop here. But, um, GTL to us are the great things in life. And throughout the book, we, we want you to always be asking yourself, really, what are your financial goals? What are the great things in life that you want to achieve? We firmly believe, and I firmly believe, that you can't navigate yourself anywhere unless you know where you want to go. So we're constantly yeah. gonna be pushing you to figure out what these things are. We give you great classic examples. I've mentioned some here on the show, but they're your goals. You need to figure them out and then just get crazy with them. Go, go for it.
4: Yeah, do you have some examples of, of terms that that people in general, not just millennials, are not fully that they don't fully understand?
2: Financial terms. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say it's really terminology, as it's you know. Let's back up to what I think is foundational, and we we talked about it. it's really having a goal system, which we provide. So identifying. Quantifying by time and value, and prioritizing your goals—that's the goal system that we teach in this book, and I teach in practice uh, as as a financial planner. And then from there, really mastering cash flow. Like, so yeah, I guess if you don't know what cash flow means, just know we got two sides of a coin here. We have budgeting, what you hope you would spend, you know, what you're planning on doing. And cash flow is the reconciliation of that, which is saying, hey, what did I actually spend? And these two areas, the goal system and cash flow, you know, again, not so much terminology, but if you get these concepts, you know, and start to master them and work on them, I think you get maybe 70% of what you need to know, if not more, about personal finance. Oh, wow. You know, it's just that, yeah, it, no joke. Yeah, I just gave, gave all my secrets away right there. But the topic is so foundational and so much involved in those areas of your life that if you can really spend a lot of time on that and learn it and get disciplined around that you'll find yourself in a dramatically better place financially
4: douglas just in closing here and thank you so much again for your time here on the show you've given us some really good ideas what is what's a step that somebody could take today to help get their finances in order what's that first step that they can take
2: I would tell you again is that goal system we just talked about. The first thing you need to do is be honest with yourself about what it is you want in this world. And when you start lining up your goals, you've identified them, I then want you to think about when you want to achieve that goal and what's the financial cost of achieving that, and then figure out of those goals which is most important to you. Once you got that pegged, you'll know where your first and last dollar of available savings will go. To then figure out what it is you can save by becoming a master of cash flow. If you just did this, again, you're going to be on your way to becoming a much more financially educated person. All the other stuff, investments, taxes, estate, retirement, all these other things are important, but I feel not as important as what I had just shared with you. So there's your starting point, and I hope, I hope you all take advantage of that.
4: That's awesome. And, you know, Douglas, another option is you could do what I did and marry an accountant.
2: <laughs> Marrying a so, financial professional that, is good, but not, not a cure all.
4: That was, that was my financial plan. Just marry the accountant. I like it. Yeah, but she's, I like she's it. doing a great job of, of trying to help me be more educated about our finances as well. Well, Douglas, uh, we really appreciate your time here on the Matt Townsend Show. And Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays, Happy New Year, all that good stuff. Happy holidays. Thank you for having me. His name is Douglas Bonaparte, and he is an expert financial advisor, and he's the co-author of The Millennial Money Fix. And uh, he's been sharing us sharing with us some ideas about how we can face these financial challenges with more confidence and uh, with more hope, I think. This all starts with goal setting. You heard it here on The Matt Townsend Show. When we return, we're going to do some empty news. back to the show as you know each day we like to give you some stories that maybe you're not going to hear on other radio stations uh on other television stations so it's it's something that we like to call empty news the empty news team first on the scene fifth on facts and i'll admit these stories uh are a little unusual at times and usually involve some sort of a crook that makes a poor decision. We all need to hear these stories, though, so that we can learn from them. And we want these crooks to learn from them as well. Uh, So there's a a Virginia man who's been charged with burglary. He's accused of entering a neighboring home in the early morning. And, you know, so far it sounds like a normal story. But he just happened to be wearing a bathrobe when he burgled the home. Can I say burgled?
6: You need to dress appropriately for the situation. Right. Right. Robbing someone's home in a bathrobe, not necessarily the best.
4: Right. But sometimes when you go to work,
6: so to speak, you right. want to be comfortable. Now, my child went to school the other day. It yes. It was pajama day. Oh, lucky. So everyone rolled in in pajamas. It was a half day before the end oh, of, yeah. of you know school year. So, yeah. But still, pajama day, not every day,
4: but some people think it's that way. So go ahead. Well, hopefully he didn't uh, then rob the school. No, he had to walk home in the snow, though. Pencils and erasers. Yeah. So Sheriff Spokeswoman Amanda uh, Vicinanzo said residents were awakened by noises in their home shortly after 3 a.m. Thursday. They found a man in a robe wandering their hallway. Oh, it's dad again. According to a sheriff's office news release, the man told the couple he was their neighbor and that he entered their home out of concern for their safety Mm. after hearing what he thought was a gunshot. I was taking this TV because I felt you were in danger. Right. And this is a good lesson for anybody uh, to get to know your neighbor so that this argument can be shattered immediately. They told the man to leave, and he complied, but not before first wandering into their basement, the release said. There was no sign of forced wow. entry. He really took a wrong turn there. Right. He just, instead of walk out the door, he goes
6: down yeah. into the basement.
4: Deputies went next door and confronted the alleged uh, intruder. Uh, Vicinanzo said the suspect was hostile toward the deputies. Hmm. So maybe he was. They went next was door to get him. So that wasn't he was, just part of the story. He wasn't lying. His
5: neighbor was trying to rob him. Yeah. I think.
6: I think the story there is everyone needs to take a moment and visit your neighbor to right. say, "Hey, I live next door," and then confirm that person so this doesn't happen. So it sounds
4: like when you're delivering those Christmas goodies, maybe there's an ulterior motive there, yeah. like trying to just get a feel for the person. Are you the type of person that's going to enter my house in a bathrobe at three in the morning? Hmm. Um, There's a German truck driver who bequeathed several decades worth of pennies to his family. But when they tried to cash it all in, an overly diligent bank clerk was forced to spend months combing through the bags. A German bank worker who spent half of 2017 hand counting 2.5 metric tons, that's 5,500 pounds of coins, finally finished his monumental task this week. The coins had been collected by a former truck driver over 30 years of travels and bequeathed to his family. He had packed the roughly 1.2 million coins into hundreds of freezer bags, uh, in case you want to throw them in your freezer. He was helping. Yeah. Yeah. The coins were in one and two cent uh, denominations on uh, the Federal Republic of Germany until the introduction of the euro in 2002. Counting the coins by machine was not possible as some of them were rusted and stuck together. The (laughs) coins totaled around nine thousand four hundred dollars. An unexpected inheritance for the family of the deceased man. Wow! Would that be more of a burden if you were the family member who was, you know, you're collecting dad's goods, getting – finding out, OK, what did dad leave for this person in the will? Is that more of a burden to have $9,000 worth of coins to get right. through? Well, we've heard of
6: people paying like their parking tickets. Speeding tickets with a vast amount of coinage just to make it yeah. difficult for the people. And, I mean, you're you're burdening this bank.
4: Yeah. I think the bank should have gone, uh, no, no, we're not going to do that. <laughs> well, good for the bank teller. But you know what I would do with it? I would take these freezer bags of coins to... Shopping malls, Mm. anywhere, like amusement parks, anywhere there was a A fountain. A fountain. And just – it's like I'm Oprah. And you get a wish. And you get a wish. And you get a quarter, so you get 25 wishes. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't have anybody in mind when I shared that last one. Yeah. Uh anyway, we're going to take a break. When we return, we're going to end the show with or end this part of the Matt Townsend show with a couple of empty news stories that are more Christmas related to get you in the spirit when we return. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend show. As promised, we're going to have a couple of empty news stories that are more Christmas related. Uh, there's a Missouri city who's going for their. They've unveiled a Christmas stocking it hopes will make the cut for the world's largest Christmas stocking. You ready for the numbers here? Measured at 177 feet, and uh, they're hoping that it will get into the Guinness World Records. The well, city is uh, – actually
6: isn't just one foot.
4: What's that? It's, it's a stocking, right? Right. So it's like one really oh, big foot. I guess so. So they're trying to to beat the record that was set by the Italian city of Carrara in 2011. Yeah. Uh, the The stocking is almost 10 feet longer than that stocking. Ooh. Uh, it's so large that with a few more inches, it would not have fit in the Missouri State Fair Arena where it was unveiled. So they got this stadium. The entire floor of the stadium
6: is just this stocking they've made now good for that, them that's great
4: yeah what are
6: you gonna do with that it weighs like 800 pounds when they fold it all up um you pull that out every year There's, you're gonna feed the world The story talks about they don't have a building in town that's tall enough to say drape it off the roof or something they don't have a building <laughs> that big
4: use it as the world's biggest parachute i, I don't know and then set another record uh here's another great one Fans of the 1964 holiday cartoon classic Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and I know Cole is a fan of that, although he doesn't like that uh, Santa's very mean in that. Spoilers. Um, they, uh, they have a chance to snag one of the most expensive expensive pieces of memorabilia out there. Peter Latrario, Leto- uh, the owner of the Rudolph and Santa puppets, isn't it just clay? I thought it was just clay. He's selling the pair that... That's a, pe- a different cartoon there's one that their puppets and there's another one that was claymation. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he's selling the pair that appeared on the TV special and asking for a whopping 10 million dollars in an eBay auction. Uh Rick Goldschmidt an expert he, he may on these be things. Negotiating that price, he thinks 10 okay. million might be a little much, but yeah. Yeah. So there's an expert on these things who used to who used to bring these exact puppets to events said you can't put a price on them. The pair are two of several puppets used in the creation of the special, which used an iconic stop-motion technique yeah. called animagic.
6: So that's, that, that's where you think it's claymation. They're yeah. actually puppets that they go in and do the same kind of thing sure. in
4: claymation. You move it a little bit, take a picture, yeah. you, you know, that kind of thing. So while Goldschmidt does think the price is ridiculous, he hopes a sale goes through to a museum so fans of the Christmas classic Christmas special can enjoy Rudolph and Santa. Because as we all know, museums have $10 million to throw out like this. That's why I'm saying they may drop that price. <laughs>
6: yeah. they may just donate it. If you're
4: hoping it goes in a museum, yeah, you're not going to get $10 million. That's for darn sure. Anyway, that's going to do it for this hour of the Matt Townsend Show. Coming right up after the BBC, we've got our Christmas edition of Screen Cleaning on the Matt Townsend Show, which we are uber excited for. There are so many movies that are coming out this weekend. How are you going to choose which one to watch? And also, Cole and I are going to share some wonderful news in the way of entertainment And uh, we're also going to give you a couple more options of movies that you can watch that you may not have considered ever before or that you might not ever want to consider again. That's coming up next on Screen Cleaning on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome to Screen Cleaning. This is the Christmas episode that we've all been waiting for for so long. I'm sure I've got Cole Wissinger here with me as well. And by the way, my name is Jeff Simpson, the host of Screen Cleaning. Today is a huge, packed, snowball-packed show, huh? There we go, huh? You like the that? Theme. And uh, what we do on Screen Cleaning is we like to give you. Uh, the very best in entertainment news. And we're going to do that by sharing with you our best trailer news. Cole, I don't know if you saw this already, but the trailer for Oceans 8 is now out.
5: Aha. Uh-huh. I this saw is, a poster. I saw some news, but the trailer is new. Right.
4: This is the film. This is the female version of the Oceans 11 movies. And this one has a really star studded cast. And it actually looks pretty entertaining. Oh, boy. I'll sign up. I'll go see that. And our best. Membership news, Cole. Okay. MoviePass yep. has officially topped 1 million subscribers.
5: Wouldn't have it without you and me.
4: I know, right? I was the very first one. I signed up the very first day. They inter- they introduced a new pricing plan, right. which I immediately signed up for, because then it went from $10 a month to $7 a month. If you're not familiar with MoviePass, this is where you get to, to see- literally
5: any of our other shows, right. and we'll talk about it. Yeah,
4: too. right. So uh, you sign up for this membership. You can go to the movies once a day. Really, $7 a month to go to the movies every day. It's unheard of. And if uh, AMC had their way, It mem- still wouldn't be <laughs> Movie of. pass would uh, not be a thing, yeah. So uh, good for them. And I hope it goes on like this forever. But likely not. Uh, also in the best list news, and Cole, this is where I'm going to quiz you a little bit. Bring it on. I want you to tell me what you think were some of the biggest hits meaning the the best movies or the biggest movies of 2017 Okay, and then also can you guess what some of the biggest flops were in 2017?
5: See if you can get any of these right. Okay, So uh, the ones that made money would be your Marvel Universe movies so Guardians of the Galaxy 2 came out this year, Spider-Man Homecoming came out this year and Thor Ragnarok came out this year.
4: Okay so none of those are on this list. Try to guess some of the flops. Okay, Justice League. Not on the list.
5: <laughs> um, Let's see. Kong Skull Island. Nope. I imagine that was pretty expensive, right?
4: Okay. Well, here you go. Biggest hits of 2017. Wonder Woman. Okay. Global box office, $821 million.
5: It stayed in theaters for a while.
4: Production budget, $120 million. Girls Trip. Production budget of nineteen million. It made one hundred thirty-eight million worldwide. Wonder, which is still in theaters, uh, a budget of twenty million. It's already made one hundred fifty-five million. Get out on a budget of four and a half million made two hundred fifty-four million. I love those numbers. Horror movies are always
5: reliably good net-wise.
4: It. I was surprised to to learn it was only it only cost thirty-five million dollars to make made 695 million oh, worldwide. Yeah.
5: Highest grossing Huge. R-rated movie of all time. Uh really? Or of uh oh, R-rated horror. Wow. Oh,
4: Beauty okay. and the Beast cost 160 million to make, made 1.26 billion worldwide. Wow. And then Star Wars The Last Jedi, production cost of 250 million, it made 536 million. In its first week. Right. <laughs> so it's still going. And uh I'm just gonna I'm just I'm gonna run through the films that were flops. I won't go through the numbers, but sure. uh, see if any of these sound familiar. Monster Trucks. Yep, I went to see that. King Arthur: Legend of the Sword, which I actually enjoyed. Right. Valerian and the City of a Thousand
5: Planets. I saw that as well. Dane Deheen and Cara Delevingne. The Dark Tower. I saw that as well. <laughs>
4: the Promise.
5: That I did not see.
4: Cost ninety million dollars to make. It made eight million dollars. So me and no one else. Right. Also. And that. Geostorm.
5: Oh yeah, no no one.
4: Yeah. No one's well, Cole, um This is a nice preview because in a couple like of weeks,
5: we're gonna go through some of our favorites and hits of the year as well. And so this kind of gives a framework from where we're starting from. Get remind you of some of the movies that came Monster Trucks, it's been since I think January, February that, right. that one came out. So just to right. remind you, these are the kind of movies that we'll be talking about.
4: So Cole, uh we touted this as a holiday show, a Christmas show, right? Absolutely. So it wouldn't be a Christmas show unless we talked about Santa Claus. And so just before we go to break here, I want you to tell me who uh, gave your favorite portrayal of Christmas or of Santa Claus in a holiday film.
5: So The Miracle on 34th Street, either one, is an absolute fantastic. That's, that's I think, the embodiment of Santa Claus for me okay. in a lot of ways. Tim Allen's is interesting and different. Um, but when I think of different kind of Santas. There is a Hallmark Channel movie. Okay. Called Single Santa Seeking Mrs. Claus.
4: And this is genuinely your favorite and portrayal. He
5: has genuinely my favorite incorporation of the Ho 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 laugh. Wow. And it's called what again? So it's Single Santa Seeks Mrs. Claus. Steve Gutenberg. (gasps) Steve Gutenberg as Santa? Plays your Santa in that. And when he laughs, he genuinely makes it sound like he's saying ho 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 in terms of laughing. Which a lot of times it just sounds like they're saying ho ho ho, but he's laughing and uses that. He's a very great Santa. And it's got like a trilogy, I think. Oh my goodness. Hallmark Channel movies.
4: My favorite portrayal of Santa, I don't know the name of the actor. But it's the mall Santa from A Christmas Story.
5: Oh, The mall Santa that
4: is uh, cranky, wants to get out of there as soon as possible, is rather scary, to be quite frank. And, uh, of course, when little Ralphie asks him for a BB gun, he says, you'll shoot your eye out, kid, and then uses his boot to push him down the terrifying slide that... uh, lands in a pile of cotton.
5: Did you see the musical version recently?
4: I watched about the first hour of it, and then I had to go to bed and realized... Ah, oh, there's still two hours left of this thing. Uh-huh. I really just wanted to see David Allen Greer as Santa Claus, as the mall Santa, mm-hmm. but never got to see it. Real quick, I have a least favorite Santa also. Okay. It's from
5: Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the old claymation, because that Santa's a real like jerk to Ooh, Rudolph in kind every of kind of way. He is. Oh, my goodness. And at yes. the very end, the only reason he incorporates Rudolph back is because he shows some value out of the deviation from the norm that he represented for the whole beginning of the movie. My Not least, very loving of a Santa.
4: My least favorite. Came in a highly edited version of Bad Santa, oh, Billy, yes. Billy Bob Thornton as Santa Claus. You can skip that one. I think so. Anyway, when we return, we've got a whole slew of movies that's coming out this weekend, and we've got Rod Gustafson and his wife Donna Gustafson here to tell us all about them. When we return, this is Screen Cleaning.
1: Welcome to a 90-second movie review for Star Wars The Last Jedi on BYU Radio. I've got to start with a disclaimer that I am a big Star Wars fan. Not a huge fan, as some are, but I do love this franchise. I had to say that before I could say that I came out of the theater of this film, and I was blown away by the story and the events that take place. The first thing about this film is that everyone needs to stop speculating about the trailer and go see the film a lot of things people are guessing about are wrong. The next thing about the new Star Wars film is that it is amazing. It is long, but it does not feel long. It does feel like a complete story, despite being part of a trilogy that is in a trilogy of trilogies. Ryan Johnson deserves many accolades for making this film feel so cohesive. It all feels like it belongs together. The character development in the film is wonderful. You can see the characters thinking about what's happening and then growing from their experience. The special effects are amazing. The only thing I will reveal about the film is that at one point, When you're watching it, the theater will go quiet, and so will the screen. If you're thinking of taking the whole family to the theater, remember that this is a war film. Battle scenes are prevalent, and people do die. Bodies are seen laying around, and people are seen being killed on screen. Many ships are destroyed in dogfights, and the good old lightsaber is put to good use. Some characters do find themselves in dire situations throughout the film. Star Wars The Last Jedi is rated PG-13, and I am giving it an A+. I'm Sean O'Neill, and this has been a 90-second movie review on BYU Radio. Tune in to This Will Take a While, Mondays, 4 p.m. Eastern, to hear your host, Dean Duncan, discuss just about every topic, right here on Sirius XM, Channel 143, BYU Radio.
4: Welcome back to Screen Cleaning. You know, there are just so many movies to choose from this holiday season. And uh, how do you know which ones you're going to go with? Well, thankfully, we've got a couple of friends from Parent Previews. Rod and Donna Gustafson, welcome to the uh, Screen Cleaning on the Matt Townsend Show.
8: <laughs> Thank you. It's great to be here, Jeff. It is.
4: So you you are tasked with helping us decide which of all these films we should choose to go see, because it seems like there are way more movies out than we have time to go see. And I mean, more money. (laughs) Yeah. And I already have to go see Star Wars again. So this is going to be a tough choice. So, Rod, I want to start with you. You're here to talk to us about The Greatest Showman.
8: Yeah, The Greatest Showman. This is a musical. Okay, I have been so busy lately. I knew what this movie was about. It's about P.T. Barnum. But uh, I didn't really fully comprehend it was a musical. I think I remember hearing that somewhere, but as I sat down in there, I thought, that's right, this is a musical. And uh, this is done, written by the same people that made La La Land last year, love it or hate it, I loved it, a lot of people hated it, but it's full of incredible, fun, catchy songs as we learn about the story of P.T. Barnum and how he managed to start um, a circus. And not only did he start a circus, but he really also started a presentation genre, if that's the right term, of of the whole circus act and how it works and the rings and all of that business. So, so uh, he really he really set in motion way back in the 1840s uh, something that still continues today. And what I appreciated about the movie itself, we'll talk about that for a moment, is that the, I, I like musicals where the songs actually motivate the plot. And they're not just dress pieces. And this one, they do that. Um, and I, uh, I'm i a little bit, uh, well, how should I put it on BYU radio? The best scene takes place in the bar. <laughs> there is <this> a <laughs> scene with... These two guys, because Barnum is out of money and he started this circus and he's broke and he wants to expand what he's doing. He still believes in it so much. So this other guy comes along who is quite a uh, he's doing well as a dramatic playwright producer and Barnum is trying to talk him into giving him money and going into partnership with this circus act. And uh, so the two of them negotiate this deal in this bar and there are these glasses that are flying and this dance act in there. And it's, it's just incredible. And so there are some really cool scenes in this film. The other thing I really appreciated about this film is it's got some good messages um, especially Barnum with his marriage. I don't know how true. I I did some quick research yesterday um, and I, I don't know if this is really completely historically accurate or not. I don't want to give away too much of the movie but there's some very positive decisions that are made in this movie to maintain family and maintain a good marriage and uh, we always appreciate seeing those in the movie as well.
4: Sure and you know Uh, This film was unique, too, in that just the other night, during the airing of A Christmas Story Live, which a lot of people also didn't know was a musical, or at least this version Mm -hmm. is... They had a live commercial for The Greatest Showman. I've never seen that before. Oh, really? And uh, so it had all the cast performing. I don't know what song it was, but they had The Bearded Lady, and she could really belt it out, by the way. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I I was rather impressed with that. I thought that was a really great idea.
8: Yeah, yeah, that is really cool. And, you know, there there are a lot of ethical things that came up with Barnum's circus, you know, because basically he, he hired people who had physical um, either deformities or they were unusually tall, unusually short. And a lot of people were very critical of that. But then on the other side of the fence, especially back in the 1840s, Uh, These people had jobs, and in fact, the the guy whose name was Tom Thumb, uh, he went on to have a very successful performance career. And so you can also argue what kind of a life would he have had had that not happened to them. So you know, check out our review. We've got some good discussion questions at the end of the review that will reveal some more things about the movie as well. My biggest question is why couldn't Hugh Jackman have sang that good in Les Misérables a few years ago? He sounds (laughs) so much better in this movie. Well, because Went wrong with that film.
4: He's not singing live in The Greatest Showman like he was yes. in Les Mis. There you yeah,
8: go. Yeah, and I think that really is the key. And I still wish that uh, the director hadn't made that decision with Les Mis. But there you have it. Greatest Showman, a minus on this one. We we really enjoyed it.
4: Okay, so Donna, you're here to talk to us about first uh, the dark or just Darkest Hour. The Darkest Hour is a different film. This is Darkest it Hour. Is.
0: Okay, and this one is a historical piece. Of course, always artistic license with history, so be aware of that, we're regardless of what you get into. But this is Winston Churchill's first month in office as he was sort of stepped into the role of prime minister during World War II. And he is there during Britain's darkest hour. In fact, it's the world's darkest hour because they are on the brink of losing that war. And there are many historians who believe that if Winston Churchill hadn't been in that position at that time, the war would have been lost because his personality was so much stronger than Neville Chamberlain, who was the Prime Minister previously. And so he really changed the way they approached that war. So this movie is really intense, really grueling. You you come into it as he comes into this position and he has all these decisions to make and he is in a desperate situation. It's a really powerful film, really fast-paced moving film for a historical piece. And Gary Oldman, who plays Winston Churchill, is totally unrecognizable in this role. Like you won't know it's him. He really does look like the Winston Churchill of that we see in the newsreels and in the photographs. It is an amazing, amazing piece of dramatic work.
4: And I'm really bummed because this is a film that I, even now that it's out this weekend, there aren't a ton of theaters around or near me that are showing it. So I'm really going to have to search this one out, but I've, I've really wanted to see it for some time now.
0: It's It's worth searching out. It's a British production and those ones always get a little less screen time on North American screens. Um, That's just kind of the way of it. So yeah, look for this because it really is a powerful story.
8: Um, And Gary Oldman, I I think in the Broadcast Film Critics Association, he's nominated for Best Actor. I can't remember. I think he popped up in the Globe.
0: Yeah, he did. And he will show up in a few.
8: Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see him pop up in the Oscars, too. And I think that will push this movie into more theaters.
4: There we go. So, Donna, you're also here to talk to us about another film. And I want to tell a little story before we introduce this film. Uh, already probably about six months to eight months ago maybe a year ago uh i made the genius fathering decision to show my two young daughters the film jumanji the original <laughs> film jumanji so at the time uh they were probably f- uh four and two and you know we we sat down with some pizza i turned it on i thought i loved this as a kid they'll love it too and it gets to the scene where they're sitting at a table and playing the game Jumanji, the board game, for the first time. And you start hearing these drums, boom, 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 ba boom, ba da boom. And you start hearing these bats coming out of the chimney. And they don't even—they hadn't even seen anything come on the screen yet that would be scary. But the sounds were so scary, they covered their ears and covered their eyes. And we're screaming, turn it off, turn it off, turn it off. So I I quickly turned it off, deleted it from my DVR, and my five-year-old turns to me and with these big doe eyes says, why would you show that to us? And I felt like a horrible father, and I think I learned my lesson from that experience. Not to show them movies that they probably need to wait a little bit longer for.
0: You know, I think each parent has that kind of an experience at some point in their life. Uh, Rod did the same thing with our you know, was, just coming into their teenage years. I did
8: it more than once. <laughs> I, I showed my son, he was sick and home from school one day, and there was some stupid documentary on aliens on TV, and Uh-oh. and he seemed to be interested in aliens. He didn't sleep for, what, a year? <laughs> that was horrible.
0: Anyway, they do make us pay for these mistakes. They yes. do. Anyhow, we hope, as you know, with what we do with Parent Previews, that's what we're trying to help you avoid. And with Jumanji, the, this new one, which is, you know, called... Um, welcome to the Jungle. Same thing, guys. It does have a PG-13 rating, so don't show it to your littlest, littlest ones. Although, you know, I remember that older Jumanji, jane it has been a while since I've seen it um, being even more scary,
1: scary. than this yeah. one.
8: Yeah, it was scary.
0: But I would still recommend you don't show it to your you know, your four- and two-year-olds. That's not good yeah, going. Yeah. <laughs> this one is very much the same thing. In fact, it even has the sort of same introduction, just in case we have viewers that didn't see it when it came out in 1995. Um, we have the scene where the game now has has morphed into a video game because who plays board games anymore? (laughs) And so now it's a video game and this young man tries it and he disappears. And then 20 years later, um, a group of kids that are in detention at school stumble across this old game console with the game Jumanji still stuck in it. it. Rather than doing what they're supposed to be doing for detention, they decide they'll give the game a whirl and they also get sucked into the game. So, you know, it's the same premise because we had the two timelines happening in the old Jumanji um These guys are going to go into the, the game now and we expect that they will run into the former player, which of course they do.
8: And the geek turns into Dwayne Johnson. That's the funniest. <laughs> and the annoying girl turns <laughs> into uh, I, uh, uh, And to a Kevin middle-aged
0: Hart.
8: man. Oh yeah, she's Jack Black. <laughs> she's yes, Jack Black. She turns into Jack Black.
0: <laughs> so they do play against the characters that way, which is kind of funny and they, of course there's all the adventure and the animals and the dangers and all those kinds of things that they have to get through.
4: So don't show it to your 4 and 2 year olds but uh you know I I look at this as the as the dumb fun uh experience that we might want to have this christmas so I'm this is the one that I'm yeah. trying to push my in-laws to because I think it looks like a good time
8: and what is the grade on don and I haven't even asked you about this movie much yet
0: you know I think I gave it a b, b? uh mm-hmm. I'm actually writing the review as we talk, and I can't remember what I gave it. It is dumb. It is fun. It does have a message of teamwork in there, which is kind of redeeming, and also working out sort of those bullying issues that deal that kids deal with, with stereotypes in schools. That's all. It's positive things, um, but it really is entertainment. It's not much more than that.
4: So, Rod, we've got just a few minutes left here to talk about the other big release, and it's the third in the series of Pitch Perfect films. And every time I see this trailer, I have to admit, I kind of groan and roll my eyes. I really enjoyed the first one, the second one not as much, and I I wonder if they've outstayed—I wonder if the Bellas have outstayed their welcome in the movie theaters.
8: Well, you're the opposite for me. I didn't really enjoy the first one. I never did see the second one. One of our other freelance writers did the second one. Um, so it's been a while since I've visited this, this franchise. What bothered me about the first one, I enjoyed the music. I did not enjoy all the sexual innuendo that was going on in between the music. Um, and from what I understand, the second one fell into that pretty much just as much. This one, they seem to have cleaned things up a little. And I, I hope I'm not just getting a, hard, a hardened show shell to some of this content because that happens. But I I appreciated that this one, there is still some sexual innu- innuendo in it, so parents, be aware of that. Um, but the songs really are incredible. And the fact that all of these women sing their own songs... Um, and do all of their, own, all of their own, own music in this film as well, is really commendable. The other aspect of this uh, movie that I was surprised at, Rebel Wilson, a comedian I'm not a huge fan of, she plays one of the main characters in this franchise. She plays the character of Fat Amy. But this movie turns into a little bit of an action piece in the final act. There's something that happens, and so the girls have to save the day. And there is a fight scene with Rebel Wilson and, and, and the bad guy so – so to speak, and uh, it's really well choreographed, and she pulls it off quite realistically. So, and she did do her own stunts in this film oh, wow. as well. There's some, yeah, there's some. There's a twenty foot jump and a few other things, and she did them all. So, got to give her credit. She actually, it, it, there's some good performances in this film. Having said all of that. I think I'm I'm sounding so positive because I wasn't very happy with the other two. But this one, we're just barely making it into our recommended area, the B minus grade. Parents, again, be aware that there is going to be sexual innuendo uh, in this film, but not as much as the other two. The other thing I appreciated, other than that, all of the profanity falls into our mild category. We don't have that... That one major word that all of us are tired of hearing and many others. So the profanity has been toned down. You know, we got that little bit of action violence. And and there's no real sexual content other than the innuendo. So I was quite surprised. And the music is incredible. Very fun music.
4: Okay, I'll have to see if I... Am convinced right. enough to go see that one, but uh, Donna and Rod, just really quickly before we go, if we have to choose one movie to go see, what should we pick with all the movies that are out there right now?
8: Oh well, that's a really. Do you want to well, have fun or do you want to have a serious time? <laughs> I,
0: I would pick Darkest Hour crazy as that is if you can find that one I, that one is a really powerful film okay um, and
8: yeah I, I if you want a serious movie boy wonder still just charms me i i was just really impressed with that film but yeah you know this is the time of year where there's a lot of good ones to pick from
4: hey oh, and, and can i get one other one in yeah i know know what you're going to say coco i forgot about Coco. <gasps> one Cocoa of the best movies of the year film. absolutely yeah, yeah. if you do go see that one bring a box of tissues with you though Yes. Great movie. (laughs) Well, Rod and Donna Gustafson, we really appreciate your time here on Screen Cleaning. And uh, there you have it, folks. Lots to choose from, but uh, they've just made our task a little easier. When we return, we're going to be speaking with our good friend Jacob Gowans, who's going to be talking to us about some of his holiday favorites.
1: Bum
2: bum bum
4: The holidays are upon us, which means it's time to dust off the Christmas movies and watch them for the hundredth time. (laughs) Our good friend Jacob Gallons is back with us on the show. Jacob is a YA author, a young adult author, Comic-Con panelist, he's an avid gamer, and he's a complete Marvel geek that we like to uh, have some fun with on the show. Today, he and I will be highlighting some of our favorite Christmas movies, and we're even going to suggest some you may not be familiar with. Jacob, welcome back to Screen Cleaning. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be back. I'm super excited because the last time we shared our lists of our favorite Marvel films, they were pretty different, and I'm I'm guessing that our Christmas lists are going to be different as well. I I, I can only imagine. (laughs) Now, I should say that some of these films are probably films that you're well familiar with, probably on some of your own favorite lists. But, uh, again, we will get to one or two that I'm sure you have not heard of. Or if you've heard of them, you probably haven't seen them. So, Jacob, we'll go back. Uh, We'll do our fifth to the first. And I'll let you start with your fifth pick for your favorite Christmas movie and why.
7: Okay. My number five favorite Christmas movie is Elf. Uh, I think it's really funny. And um, it is kind of a charming story. We actually used uh, some elements of this movie when we did some of our storytelling back in our college days that's true um and uh it's just i think it's hilarious it's one of john favreau's best films
4: so uh my number five goes to just barely dr seuss's how the grinch stole christmas Mm -hmm. now this isn't one that i necessarily watched over and over and over and over again growing up but now that i have kids it is one that we watch over and over and over again and i don't think it's the greatest work of art but i really appreciate the message that dr seuss has at the heart of this story which is really christmas is more than just gifts it's about feeling love and of course you know right. they don't they don't go into the whole uh, christ part of christmas but um yeah i wish more people would would follow this idea that Christmas can be more about giving gifts. It can be about being together as family. It can be about sharing love. And if you're religious, it can—it
7: certainly should be about Christ. So uh, my number four pick will be Home Alone. Uh-huh. Uh, I guess I guess I'm leaning comedy right now. Uh, Home Alone is funny. It's a movie of my childhood. Um, it was. Uh, uh, it's you know it's just. It's irreverent. It's uh, it's a classic. It's got just some great slapstick performances from Joe Pesci and I, I don't remember the tall guy's name, but Daniel Stern. Daniel Stern, exactly. Yes, the voice of and Kevin the, uh, from the Wonder Years. <laughs> yes, Uh I think I think I just love the whole home invasion protection bit. It's just it's just a classic.
4: Tell me if this was you when you were younger. Did you just fast forward to the part where the crooks were getting beaten up and then just rewound oh, those parts over and over and over again? Yes. yes. Yeah, and, you know, Home Alone 2 is even more brutal in the beating of oh, the crooks.
7: It really is. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and You don't realize that until you're an adult.
4: Yeah, you realize, wait a minute, every single one of these would kill these guys. Yeah. Yep. My number four, I have to add a disclaimer. This is the edited version of the film that is one of my favorite Christmas films. Do okay. not watch this film unedited. Um. Yeah, you've been warned. It's Love Actually, and I'm a big sucker for movies that have multiple storylines that somehow interweave at some point uh, later on in the movie, and this film just has a lot of funny storylines, it has some heartbreaking storylines, it has some heartwarming storylines, and uh, any movie with Rowan Atkinson is <laughs> is going to be funny to me. I'm probably in the minority on this, but my favorite storyline involves Bill Nye as the uh, Aging (laughs) rock star.
7: Yes. What's your number three? My number three is Nightmare Before Christmas. Mm. Um, It's uh, you know when I I watched that film when it first came out and I had no idea was gonna it was gonna spawn this whole like gothic oh my goodness I mean it is it is huge I mean there's just I mean it just became a became a a cult classic, Um, but uh, it's got great music by Danny Elfman. The songs are terrific. Uh, The claymation still holds up today. I think it's still a great film, Um, and uh, it's you know you could definitely say that it's a Halloween film instead of a Christmas film. But I think uh, I think it I think it's still a a great Christmas movie as well.
4: Oh yeah, and it's totally true. If you go into any hot topic store, it's all Nightmare Before Christmas stuff.
7: (laughs) Yeah, that's true. My
4: number three is Elf. Hey, there we go. Elf has become one that we've watched every year without fail, and I was—I uh, didn't discover this movie until about a year after it came out, and it's—it's it's a movie that has genuine belly laughs. You, you fall in love with the character that Will Ferrell plays because any actor that commits to a role that well, you know, one hundred ten percent. It's infectious. The joy that yeah. he exudes—it's—it's it's just infectious. So, yeah. Elf, of course, the story of a of an orphan who accidentally ends up back at uh, Santa's workshop and is raised by Santa and his elves. So he grows up thinking he's an elf, and uh, he finds out later on that's not the case. And he goes to New York City to find out who his dad is. And just so such a funny performance by Will Ferrell, and then to balance that, James Caan. Hilarious in his just absolute distaste and annoyance with Will Ferrell's character.
7: My number two is uh, Mr. Kruger's Christmas. Now this uh, one you're going to have to film. yeah you're going to
4: have to explain this one for sure.
7: So this is this is uh one of the back in the day when the church was the you know our our church it was putting out a lot of uh, short films like Johnny Lingo Cipher in the Snow. Uh, they did a little film directed by Keith Merrill called Mr. Kruger's Christmas. Starring uh, Jimmy, uh, uh, oh my goodness! I'm, thank you, Jimmy Stewart. Um, he was very old by the time. This is one of his last performances, and he did it on the condition that he could direct the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. And so, it's a story of an old man who is kind of lonely, and about how he kind of captures the true meaning of Christmas with some carolers. It's short, it's sweet, it might make you cry a little bit, but it's uh it's a really heartwarming little film that uh has a beautiful moment where he is uh talking to the nativity scene and he he kind of envisions himself in this nativity scene um and uh it just it's just really a really poignant the film with a Christian, a strong Christian message. Message.
4: How many other Hollywood actors have direct the Mormon Tabernacle Choir on their bucket list? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, not very many. I remember hearing that and thinking it was so cool. Okay, so that's your number two. My number two. Uh, I don't have to explain the story because it's it's an old one, but it's a different version of it. It's Muppet Christmas Carol. This is another one that I didn't really grow up watching very much. And uh, I wouldn't necessarily say it's the funniest Muppet movie there is, but as I got married, it it became a movie that we began to watch every year, and I even tear up at the end of a Muppet movie if you can believe that. And it's it's Kermit as uh, as Bob Cratchit, and it's got um, Michael Caine as Scrooge, who plays a pretty good Scrooge. Yeah. And it's it's tough to resist the message of this movie as well and I love stories about redemption stories that tell us you know we we can have a second chance we can we can improve ourselves we it's not too late it's never too late great message and rather funny muppet christmas carol my number 2 so what's your number 1
7: jacob so my number 1 film uh is it's a wonderful life I know it's another Jimmy Stewart movie, but it's a classic, and uh, it surprised me to learn that it wasn't always a classic. In fact, when this movie first came out, it didn't do very well, um, and and it wasn't until years after its release that people really caught on. And what I love about it is that it um, it's about a man who has given and given, and he's at his he's at his end, he's at his wit's end, and he needs a miracle. And so, uh, you know. He gets visited by this angel who shows him what the world would have been like, what the town, at least, that he lives in would have been like had he not ever been born. And um, it's just a great story. Um, it's uh, it's very touching, and uh, it's got great performances, but it's my number one Christmas movie.
4: I do agree with you. It is a great film. Uh, I think the reason it didn't make my list is because, first of all, we didn't really I didn't really grow up watching that every year. And also, I don't know that I've ever considered it to be a Christmas movie because the Christmas aspect doesn't come into the movie until probably a good hour and a half, two hours into the film. Um, Yeah, but excellent film. And again, another one that I tear up in frequently. Um, My number one is one that is shared by many, many, many people, and it's a Christmas story. Oh. And just like It's a Wonderful Life, it's not a film that did particularly well when it came out. It took years for it to really pick up steam and get people to the point where they were quoting it left and, left and right and going to uh, the film locations and buying the leg lamps and all that. Christmas story, it's narrated... Um, ...by the author of the book upon which it's based. And it's just about this little boy. All he wants for Christmas is a BB gun. Just a very funny, sweet film that we do not miss. We watch it every year. We have mentioned about ten films that I'm sure everybody that's listening is familiar with. With probably the exception of Mr. Kruger's Christmas... Uh, I don't know about you, but each year as the holidays approach, I'm always on the lookout for a new Christmas movie classic, and it's kind of hard to find because I think the last great Christmas movie that I saw was Elf, and that came out way back in 2003, so I've been waiting 14 years to find a new Christmas classic to latch on to and and to have become a new favorite of ours. But uh, you and I tried a little exercise here. You and I each watched a film that is probably not well-known or known at all to the listeners. And um, if they have seen it, they probably don't like them. And, you know, there are plenty of people that would poo-poo these movies. But uh, on BYU Radio, we like to talk about the good. And we're going to do that with these films in a little segment that we call Silver Lining Cinema. So, Jacob, the way this works is you have to give a positive review of this film. Uh, could you please tell us the title of that film and then give us your positive review of it?
7: Yeah. I watched Grumpy Cat's Worst Christmas Ever. Oh, okay. I had never heard of it. Um, so it was a wonderful exercise in in uh, <laughs> taking a chance. Um. The premise of the film is that there is a grumpy cat who lives in a mall pet store, and she very much likes being alone. And uh, uh, a girl um, who's also very much alone looking for a new friend gets a coin from a mysterious mall Santa – and she puts the she puts the coin into a wishing well and wishes for a new friend. And she now has the ability to telepathically communicate with Grumpy Cat.
1: Hmm.
7: And so See, her this and sounds Grumpy like Cat a sounds like a great fun film. You know, it really was. You know, there's a lot of classics that have come from Lifetime movies like Baby Monitor, The Sound of Fear Ooh. or Yoga Mat Diaries. <gasps>
4: wow. I got to check those out. Yeah.
7: One of my all-time favorites, Stolen Identity, Stolen Heart. Ooh. Uh, so, you know, I wasn't surprised that Grumpy Cat's Worst Christmas Ever was the best lifetime Christmas movie that I have ever seen.
4: Wow. My goodness. Uh,
7: grumpy, yeah, Grumpy Cat is voiced by Aubrey Plaza. So that's, you know, I mean, she's great on Parks and Rec. Um, A great she's,
4: grumpy person, yeah.
7: Yes, yes. And she makes terrific use of her renowned deadpan speaking style. Uh, she she injects tremendous energy and in life into the voice of Grumpy Cat. Um, and so you know that when a movie takes place entirely in a shopping mall that it's going to capture the true spirit of Christmas. <laughs> uh, this film shuns those so often overused tropes like subtlety and situational humor and instead slaps you to death with slapstick comedy until you're crying from the jokes wow um it even employs a new use of meta humor in which the narrator herself points out how bad some of the jokes are really yes yes there are literally lines from the film like Why are you still watching this movie? (laughs) (laughs) So you really connect with the narrator. I mean, it's amazing. Um, So people who would like this movie are people who enjoy pointless romantic subplots. um, Christmas carols being performed with a kazoo. Mm, Yeah. Cat people will really like this movie.
4: Not a cat person, but I am an Aubrey Plaza, uh, Plaza fan.
7: Yes, so fans of Aubrey Plaza will like this movie um, because uh, she has no concern for the film's quality herself. So you shouldn't have any either. Um, If you really like Air Bud or Matlock, you would also enjoy this film. Mm. I would give it five Christmas ornaments. Ooh, That's great. Okay, I'll have to figure
4: out a rating that I'm going to give for my film. It's simply called Santa Claus. It's from 1959. I'll get to the plot here in a second. But one thing I like about this film is that we see a Santa Santa Claus that is religious for once in a film. The first thing you see him doing in the film, he's setting up a manger. Now, I I will add that he is also laughing with the most uh, creepy laugh I've ever heard. But he's setting up a manger. And then he goes over to this organ and he starts playing on the organ. So there's an element of music in it. And he introduces the audience to this thing called Toyland, which is he has all of these different children from countries all over the world making toys for him and dancing and singing for him. Um, Wow. You know, I I wouldn't say that they were slaves, but uh, they were, let's just say they were working for him. And uh, they... I love that this film did not want to exclude any country. They wanted to be very inclusive. They, mm-hmm. In fact, they spent seven minutes on this scene going from country to country to country to country. More countries <laughs> than I even thought existed. We're, we're seeing a lot of mashups with all these superheroes, bringing them all together, putting them into one film. I don't think you're going to find another mashup quite like this one. You've got these three characters in this film. Santa Claus obviously Mm -hmm. Merlin the wizard and the devil oh talk about a mashup okay so here's the plot of the film santa works in outer space and does (laughs) battle with a demon sent to earth by lucifer to ruin christmas by killing santa and making all the children of the earth do evil Wow. Now it sounds it sounds harsher than it actually is. It's it's a Mexican film that was dubbed in into English and sent over here to the states for one or two uh runs, I believe. Another thing I like about this film is that I'm a very value-minded person. So I like to feel like you know, I'm really getting the the uh the best bang for the buck. So mm-hmm. imagine my surprise when I pressed pause on the film and only 20 minutes had transpired when it actually seemed like a good hour had gone by. So so that means I still had a good hour and 15 minutes left. So, again, they're, they're very conscious of the value-minded viewer. Uh, I thought the camera shots were very interesting. They didn't spend any time on those claustrophobic close-ups that we see in so many films – they just they focused almost all of their time exclusively on far off camera shots uh, with the camera planted in one spot. Very little movement, I you know, because so many films like to make us sick these days. And they didn't feel like all of the detail they put into the costumes and the scenery. They didn't feel like they had to get up close and show any of that detail. So you could just sit back and enjoy it from a very comfortable distance. Um, That's so nice. I love how much time Santa took delivering presents to kids because, you know, everybody does the math. Oh, if Santa delivered presents to all the kids around the earth, then he would have to travel at such and such a speed. I like the fact that he slowed down and it really shows you that he cares about each and every kid. So he visits six kids in 45 minutes, uh-huh. takes him 45 minutes to deliver uh, presents to six kids' houses, okay? <laughs> um, and at one point I thought maybe I was watching one of those old—you remember those old smell vision movies where you can smell certain things that are appearing on the screen? Okay, yeah. Um, well, Santa has the sleeping powder that he blows onto these children so that they'll fall asleep so they can't know that he's in their house. And I thought maybe I was watching a smell film because there was one point in the movie after he blew some of the uh, sleeping powder on these children that I had to admit I dozed off for just a little bit. So whatever they did uh, <laughs> to cause that was very effective. <laughs> so that is Santa Claus from 1959. And you watched Grumpy Cat Conquers the Mall. What was it called again?
7: Grumpy Cat's Worst Christmas Ever, 2014. It came out in 2014.
4: Again, these are two films that so many other people are just lining up to say horrible things about. We wanted to say something positive about them, not just because we're BYU Radio and we like to talk about good, because it's Christmas season we should have a positive attitude and be happy. And let's face it, you could do a lot worse. Anyway, Jacob Gowans, once again, we've enjoyed having you on Screen Cleaning. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for inviting me. And I hope you have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. We're going to take a a break, and when we return, we're going to be speaking with our good friends at BYU Sports Nation. This is Screen Cleaning on The Matt Townsend Show.
1: Welcome to a 90-second movie review for the film Pitch Perfect 3 on BYU Radio. The third installment of the Pitch Perfect saga is hitting theaters, and many fans will be happy to see the Bellas return to the screen. While the Bellas have moved on and tried to find jobs, they are having problems. That is, until they reform the group and decide to entertain the troops in the USO. And without realizing it, they become part of a musical competition. Well, the music once again is fun and is very entertaining in this film, but sometimes getting to the music is difficult. Now, well, the premise of this series is that the group has a tough time getting things right, But it all comes together on the stage. That's the same idea in this film. I'm just glad that they're ending it here. Also, it seemed a little far-fetched to have Gail and John, Elizabeth Banks and John Michael Higgins, following them around throughout the film. The crazy antics get to be a bit much, although the final action sequence was humorous. The story did go in some new directions, and there are a few surprises to be found. There are some touching moments as well that could be spoilers, so I can't go into detail. Overall, the movie was fun and can be a good escape, but the humor is something parents will want to know about. Once again, the jokes include talking about body parts and sexuality. But there are too many instances to mention here. Also, some of the women's out- Outfits are skimpy and some men are not wearing shirts. Other parental concerns are the violence in the film with some fight scenes as well as some language and hand signs. Plus, there is the ever-present misogyny from the commentator John. Pitch Perfect 3 is rated PG-13, but maybe a 15 might be better. I'm giving it a B-minus grade. I'm Sean O'Neill. This has been a 90-second movie review on BYU Radio.
4: screen cleaning we have had a fantastic show i think we've had a fantastic show and uh we hope you have a very merry christmas cole one of the things that i've done over the past uh, few weeks is i've shared my holiday must watch lists uh movies that you could skip we've done some silver lining cinemas i'm curious to know what's on your holiday must watch list
5: Number one on the list is The Muppet Christmas Carol. Oh, it yeah. Is by far my favorite version of The Christmas Carol. Michael Caine is my favorite version of Scrooge. Wow. And the songs in it are beautiful. As we sit today, there are only three more sleeps till Christmas, as yes. Kermit would sing about. I love, 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 love that movie. And then I am a big fan of the ABC family kind of movies. There's okay. a movie that came out in the 90s called A Christmas List. That mm. is one of my mom's favorites that I that we watch normally watch together, but since I won't be home for Christmas, I'll watch it on my
4: own this year oh. um,
5: and tell her about it.
4: <laughs> okay. And uh, as you know, we like to end each show with our panning for good segment. There's good in them Woo! <laughs> 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 You know, uh, we've talked a lot about movies today, obviously, as we are wont to do on the show. And Rod and Donna Gustafson gave us a lot more options when they reviewed all the new releases this weekend. There's one that's a little older that I have not seen, still in the theaters. It's called Wonder. But I really do want to see this because it seems like this has a fantastic message to it. And I'm really highlighting the actor in it, Jacob Tremblay. He said that when he was researching uh, the role, he was researching facial differences online, and uh, he found a group of children from Sick Kids Hospital in Toronto, and he reached out to them and asked if they could send him letters of experiences or stories. And uh, he said they got a bunch back, and he put them in a binder. He said all of these letters were about experiences of being bullied. I would read that before I did the scene and it would help me think about how Augie, that's the character in the film, is thinking when he's getting bullied. And it would help me feel like Augie. The name of the actor is Jacob Tremblay. And uh, one thing that he said I really want to highlight is when I heard the message of this film, I was just like, I got to be a part of it. If you are a parent, it's important to show your kids to choose to be kind because bullying is a terrible thing. And bullying usually happens at school, a place where kids need to feel safe so they can learn and develop who they are as well. And they can't do that when they are being judged. I really want to see this film. It seems like it has a positive message. I've only heard good things about it. It's PG and it's making quite a lot of money. So, the audience doesn't lie, unless we're talking about Star Wars The Last Jedi. Don't pay any attention to those audience scores on Rotten Tomatoes. I shouldn't have even told you that, because now you're going to be tempted to go look. Just go see it, have a wonderful time, and Cole, I invite you to do the same. I will. That's going to do it. We want to wish you a Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, Happy New Year. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. This is Screen Cleaning on The Matt Townsend Show.